does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Kevin, let me tell you something. It is perfect outside. It is a glorious and gorgeous morning. I think all three of us are actually kind of wide awake with a little spring in the step. And a number of different things to talk about this morning, but notably for the basketball programs at Indiana University yesterday, double good news, right? Men's side and women's side. Women's side, finding out one player is staying close to home, and men's side, finding out a five-star is moving in. You know, I had to laugh a little bit. I I think it was kind of a foregone conclusion that the fever we're going to take Aaliyah Boston number one overall by the way Aaliyah Boston going to join us uh right here out of the gate seven fifteen this morning she's going to call in uh, to the show but how about like Lynn Dunn's answer about Grace Berger yesterday yeah you know right now we are talking about how Chris Ballard is in smokescreen season there was no smokescreens from Lynn Dunn yesterday she was extremely abusive in her praise for Grace Berger, that turned into the seventh selection uh, for the Fever last night. They made those five picks. Ladasia Williams from LSU, a national champion as well. Um, so the rebuild in earnest for the Indiana Fever. And again, Aaliyah Boston going to join us here coming up at 7.15. As Jake said, it is another beautiful Tuesday here in Indianapolis. I just said screw the coat. Uh, t- I totally agree. Did the same thing. Because I'm like, well, what's it going to be? Chili for a five-minute walk to the car? Literally. Two-minute, whatever. And then, I mean, by the time we get out of here, it's going to be perfect, right? Absolutely perfect. Yeah, I was like, hey, I was like, hey let's do some yard work on a Monday. That's typically uh, not what I say, but uh, it was too nice of a day not to be outside yesterday. And again, it looks like that's going to be the case all week long. So along with Leah Boston coming up at 7.15, Joel A. Erickson at 8 o'clock. The chatter continues to build towards the NFL Draft two weeks from Thursday. I was up there at the Complex yesterday for their local pro day. It's an annual thing that every NFL team is allowed to put on and basically uh, draw a little radius around your complex. I want to say it's 120, 130 miles, and you can bring in high school products, college products, from the schools that qualify. 8, 8.30 for Erickson, by the way. 8.30, okay, thank yeah. you. 8.30 for Joel A. Erickson. Um, and every time I walk in there, I'm always like, boy, this group of talent probably looks a little different than the Miami Dolphins local pro day. <laughs> or the LA Rams local pro day. Or the Dallas Cowboys local pro day. Do you think the Colts have... You, what, what do you think? Green Bay, maybe? Minnesota? Who else do you think struggles in the NFL town? There, there were certainly some guys in there that we can mention that we'll hear their names drafted, but um, the old radius of Purdue, Indiana, and Champaign, along with your Indy high school products, not an abundance of talent when you compare them to some other NFL markets. You know, it's funny. When I, when I worked in St. Louis and covered the Rams, kind of the same thing, they would have people would get kind of like super excited because they'd have Missouri players trying, you know, like doing a tryout. And I'm like, yeah, this guy has no chance of playing in the NFL, right? The Rams have upgraded their local pro day and moving to LA. Correct. Yeah, that's, that's Among fair. other things. That's fair. So who would have, who would have the one that's the most head scratching? I guess Green Bay, you'd at least have a bunch of like 
big, brooding Wisconsin offensive lineman type. But again, right? is, is Madison in the radius? That's a good point. So the Colts get Illinois, but they don't get Notre Dame. So Indiana, Purdue. I mean, you had a dozen Hoosiers, dozen Boilermakers okay, wait, in the who building. Did the Chiefs get. Yeah, the Chiefs. So the Chiefs would get Missouri, right? And I guess and Kansas KU, and Kansas and State. Yeah. Uh, who would? Yeah, the Chiefs would probably be up there. I mean, Buffalo probably isn't great. Broncos. Yeah, I mean, I does, mean does Denver produce like high school kids that are? You know, I mean, honestly, Dion's going to bring in some talent to CU, but it's not. And and I'll tell you, Kevin, one of the most fascinating things we all get kind of trap. I mean, nobody more than me, I- admittedly. But you know, JMV and I yesterday sat there and did ten minutes on the air talking about just you know early to mid eighties Pacer games when we were kids. But I think we all get kind of trapped into this. Nobody more than me, guilty as charged. This Renaissance window of like the three years of our end of high school early college years and just the romanticism of it but for me it's fascinating because the it school and the it team of that era was colorado football in the late 80s early 90s the bill mccartney colorado buffaloes i mean it was the it it put the university of colorado on the map i mean kids started applying to go to school there and it became a, a cool place and boulder's great anyway but Dion's probably going to get back to that, don't you think? You see the Cathedral quarterback committed there? Yeah, see? I mean... Yeah, Danny O'Neill, uh, who will, will be a senior. Now, is he a... What kind of quarterback is he? Not the biggest dude in the world, um, but just gets it done. I mean, he's quick, got a pretty good arm for lack of size. Um, yeah, pretty dynamic player. And, yeah, he is heading to Colorado. I, I certainly was surprised when I saw... It was Colorado. You know, you just feel like Dion's going to live in a transfer portal pipeline. Isn't his son pretty young, too? Isn't his son playing quarterback for him? I think that's right. I, that's why I was wondering. So is this the kid out of Cathedral? I mean, this is no disrespect to him. He's not some five-star. I was going to say, like, yeah. is he going to go there and play right away, or is it like... I, I would guess no, but I know that Dion got, like, Kent State's, I think, offense coordinator who people were pretty high on. I think there was a previous connection there from a recruitment. Um, but, yeah, I mean, yesterday at the local pro day, the guys at least listed. I mean, Dewan Jones from Ben Davis, who was not present, but he was listed on the roster. Um, the big dude who played at Ohio State, I mean, he's going to go very high. And probably the the highest pick in attendance was a Juju Brents, a Warren Central product, who started at Iowa, transferred to Kansas State. Um, I've seen him kind of in that number 35 pick range for the Colts, a really big corner. He wasn't participating due to a wrist injury, um, but he might be a name to keep an eye on. And then you had your usuals. I mean, you had your Aiden O'Connells. You had your Payne Durham's there. You had a lot of guys from IU. Uh, didn't see Charlie Jones there. I wonder if he's making the rounds from a visit standpoint. And, and it is one of those things that each year – I go to that local pro day. And I think to myself, "Man, I forgot about that guy. Like I forgot about him in high school, and all the you know. I remember him as a local product. He went to college, didn't really make any headlines, and now here he is, kind of one last shot. Right. The guy yesterday was Hunter Johnson out of Brownsburg. Yeah, I mean Hunter Johnson was the number one recruit in the country. Went to Clemson. Kind of got shuffled back. I mean, you had. Understandably so. I, I, yeah, I can't remember if he was there when Watson was was finishing, and then you know obviously they 
Kelly Bryant, and then Trevor Lawrence. When he got in in mop-up minutes, I remember him being a very accurate passer. But then he transferred to Northwestern, where I think he kind of struggled. Became a grad transfer, transferred back to Clemson, and never really got on the field. But, you know, big body, big arm, right? But you would think the odds are stacked against him, right, Kevin? And almost him and, you know, Brandon Peters, you know, the other kind of West Side yep. product. I, if I'm not mistaken, I think there was a connection between Johnson and Peters, like junior high-wise or something. Um, you know, he went to Michigan and then Illinois and didn't really um, have, or I don't think has had much of a professional career so far. But, um, yeah, the Colts had their local pro day yesterday. Again, players back in the building yesterday, their off-season program is underway. Shane Steichen will meet the media for the first time tomorrow uh, to chat about that. And uh, we'll get into, I would say, a lot of the talk yesterday from a national NFL standpoint was about the Arizona Cardinals and what they will do with that third pick. Adam Schefter putting out that six teams have inquired about trading up for that number three pick. Um, I have a feeling that will be a huge storyline and really the first pivot point of the draft here two weeks you know, from tomorrow. One of the uh, things, as we lead into the draft, which is not that far away, one of the things probably, Kevin, at some point, we should I, will be interesting to kind of explore is, you know, who's out there that the Colts are looking at aside from quarterback? And I don't mean with the fourth pick, but I mean, you know, you've got... Well, corner. Yeah, I mean... Corner, corner, corner. And, and, and Kevin, what's fascinating to me, as I've mentioned to you before, is that corner is one that is a need that almost feels like a created need because it felt like they were kind of okay at that. I mean, maybe they didn't have any like shutdown corners, but they had some numbers at that position, but you know, they've let guys go. And you know, now that is a, as I've always said though, you can never have too many corners. Even if they had kept Gilmore, Jake, I still would have thought it was a long-term need, but by trading Gilmore now it's a short-term, short-term need as well. Um, so I, I'm a bit torn because if you're purely talking like depth chart, what you need here in 2023, what you need beyond, again, cornerback would be atop the list, non-quarterback division. But then the other part of me just says this draft needs to be all about supporting that rookie quarterback as best you can. Yeah. And, you know, think That's back fair. to the year you drafted Andrew Luck, Jake. Weren't the next three picks, offense, 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 and weren't they all pass catchers? Kobe Fleener, Dwayne Allen, T.Y. Hilton? Yeah. I don't know if you need to go to that level, but again, your offense was the awful unit last season. It needs a whole lot of help, but you know, corner um, I would put near the top of that list. Now, did you do anything fun or exciting last night? No, we really just did. You know, post um, post daycare, just really um, some yard work. Maddie and I were out there. Rosie actually acted like she enjoyed it, which was kind of wild. It was more of like pick up three or four leaves and throw them in the trash. Well, that's and, fun. Yeah, she actually <laughs> like paid attention, but then wanted like a cheese it break after about twelve minutes, which was fine. I, I would have, yeah, I, I would have taken the under. Do you go with the regular Cheez Its or the white cheddar Cheez Its? I had a phase with white cheddar, and then it phased out. I probably about a four monther. I do the Parmesan and the sharp cheddar. Man, the. I find the white cheddar to be really good, man. White yeah. cheddar cheese. They were good. dangerous dangerous um, for me for a while. Uh, but yeah, we, we were outside enjoying it. Uh, how about you guys? Uh, I, let's see. Yesterday, I got home. I mean, it was so nice out, right? I had a fairly involved lab assignment that I had to do. 
Got that done. It was kind of the last- Science lab? Correct. A lab assignment on um, ecology of groundwater. Please hold your excitement. Man. Uh, I actually kind of enjoyed the class. You didn't invite um, us over to observe? <laughs> it's it's the last- I was I stopped digging holes all day. Uh, it's the last lab assignment for that class. And then today is a big day in my household, Kevin. Kind of hardly compared to what you guys go through, but um, first vet visit. Here we go. First vet. Is yeah, Boo so. getting shots? I'm unfamiliar with maybe what the process is. You know, the wonderful thing about the Humane Society is when I adopted Boo, uh, he is all updated on his shots because they did all of that. Uh, but they, you have to go and you know just kind of a meet and greet with the vet, and I want them to look over. He has a like an allergic reaction on his lip. I think it was to a food that he was being given. Um, so I'm having him look at that and just kind of do a once-over on him. He seems healthy. He woke me up bright and early at 5, let me know it's time to eat. So No need but, for the alarm. You got boo now. <laughs> I know, but the getting him into the crate I mentioned yesterday is going to be a challenge. But I got his crate out yesterday, and I opened it up and just laid it down. And at one point, I looked, and he was just chilling in it. So I think with a couple of treats, and, I, and then I feel bad because I'm bamboozling him, right? Yeah, like there, there probably is a balance there. <laughs> I'm going to kind of trick him. He's going to go into it with treats, and then I'm going to shut the door and be like, well, let's go. It's all one big charade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I know. He'll never trust me again, yeah. right? So I'm a little worried about that. Well, that's a fun thing to look forward to. Well, I, I guess, yeah, you know. Hopefully, but it was not a lot of visits to the vet for Boo. But this, this week... To your point, Kevin, just in terms of the overall, just the weather and everything else, it is always amazing to me this time of year how you just have more energy. It's just yeah. easier to get up and get going, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely glorious. Obviously happy for the high school sports scenes around here. So much outdoor sports this time of year, so they can enjoy that. And again, Aaliyah Boston, the number one pick for the Indiana Fever, she's going to join us here uh, any minute. Uh, Lynn Dunn certainly called her shot yesterday. We'll, we'll play some of that audio, not only about Aaliyah Boston, but Grace Berger, at number seven as well. You got to think Grace Berger will have some, sell some tickets. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think people were really excited about it. I, You know, I was thinking about this. I don't know that it's going to be possible, but can you imagine if, let, let's let's just say for the sake of argument that they have injuries or something happens where they have one more year where this, this rebuild kind of gets shelved. Can you imagine if you add Caitlin Clark to that? I mean, suddenly now you've got you got some major pieces, man. You now, know, Tyrese Halliburton already welcomed Aaliyah Boston to Indianapolis. I, I did see that via tweet. Um, I know she has one of her teammates, Destiny Henderson, already on the Fever roster. Um, I was reminded last night and watching a little bit of the draft, and I mean, you know, you got to talk in realities here. Uh, there's a reason why the Fever were five and thirty-one last year, eight games worse than any team in the league. Jake, their drafting had been horrific. Yeah. I mean, absolutely horrific as a franchise. Yeah, you can't swing and miss, right, when you're up drafting high. They had top five picks each of the last three years, 21, 20, and 19. They're all, none of them are on the roster. Can you imagine if the Pacers had a top five pick in 2019, 2020, and 2021, and in the year 2023, they're all gone? Yeah. So there's a reason why they're drafting one, seven, 13 last night. Um, so in total, the five picks, Aaliyah Boston, South Carolina, they rounded it out with a uh, South Carolina product as well, and Victoria Saxton 
And then in the middle there, Grace Berger at 7. A 13 was Taylor Mikesell, a guard out of Ohio State. And then one of the 20-point scores for LSU in that national championship win over Iowa, Ladeja Williams, a forward um, at number 17. So the Fever have not made the playoffs since 2016. They will be looking to break that streak. What is Leah your, Boston going to join us here in a few. What is your level of intrigue or excitement over the fact that I have mixed emotions on it? Indiana fans are super excited, IU basketball fans, because a five-star McDonald's All-American top five recruit from a year ago who spent his freshman season at Oregon now transferring into Indiana – And people are doing backflips, and I'm like, I get it. But I looked it up last night. He started like five games out of 30. He averaged 15 minutes per game of play, six points and four rebounds per game. And supposedly, again, you know, who knows what to believe, but reportedly his minutes diminished as the year went on because Dana Altman was not pleased with his work ethic. You know, and I, I don't think there's any reported about it. I think Dane Altman was very public in yeah. a lack of effort and a lack of well, intensity. Well, what I'm saying is, I, you know, that's, I guess, one pro- I mean, I believe Dane Altman, don't get me wrong, but, you know. I mean, he has very public quotes about the lack of intensity, the lack of effort out of Khalil Ware. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, I mean, Jake, I'm a Notre Dame football fan, so I've certainly seen fan bases celebrate recruiting wins before and probably have done it before. Uh, I'm not sure I've ever seen a celebration for a guy that averaged six points on an NIT team like that. That's what I mean. I mean, people act like, you know, oh my gosh, hang the banner. And I'm like, he may be a, look, it, it beats the alternative, I guess you had, a, but look what, look what's departing, right? I mean, is he, yeah. And, and I've always said this about the Colts and free agency. You always kick the tires for me on former first round picks. You like to think a change of scenery. Maybe a wake-up call, and who knows? Maybe that'll be the case with Ware, but certainly some development on and off the floor is going to be needed, and we'll see if Mike Woodson can have that impression on him. Um, we'll get more into that here a little bit later. It definitely is going to look different than Trace Jackson Davis. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, very skilled on the perimeter by all accounts, not going to be necessarily a post-up guy like Trace. You know, since he's coming from Oregon and has a reputation, all i got to say, Kevin, is you've got to hope that just because it walks like a duck – and it sounds like a duck, right? That in reality, not exactly what you thought. But one player who had a fabulous college career, Glad as a matter of fact. saving us from that. <laughs> a fantastic college career at the University of South Carolina and now already has begun this glorious day in Indianapolis with a welcome from Tyrese Halliburton at 5 o'clock in the morning and now joining us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. She is the number one overall selection in the 2023 WNBA draft to the Indiana Fever, and Aaliyah Boston joins us now to discuss exactly that. Aaliyah, let me be the first to say that welcome to Indianapolis, and I think the city's going to be happy to have you. Thank you so much. I'm super excited. Now, are you half asleep? I would be half asleep because I would imagine, like, did you get any sleep at all? I mean, I think I got about two hours. (laughs) Well, there's probably a little bit of extra spring in the step, but let's, I want to begin with this. Um, Just your overall reaction. I think everyone knew you were going to be the number one player selected. Did you, you know, you you never, I guess, want to count the chickens before they hatch, but did you start to kind of look in even ahead of time about the Fever franchise, the city of Indianapolis, and what this all was going to mean in terms of you fitting in here? 
Yeah, I mean, I looked at it definitely ahead of time, but just like you said, I didn't want to get too excited. I just wanted to kind of do the wait, and even in the moment when they were calling my name, my heart was like racing. <laughs> but everybody says Indianapolis is very cool, so I'm like very excited. Aliyah, I know one of your former teammates plays for the Fever. Not sure how familiar you are with the city at all. Do you have any connections here? What do you, what do you know about Indy? You know, just with Henny, but I'm excited to have, uh, what is it, a fried, what do you guys do? Fried pork tenderloin. Oh, <laughs> oh yes. Yeah, look at, look at that. Boy. Okay. You got your talking points <laughs> down here. Thank you. Thank you. I worked hard on that one. <laughs> for those that did not watch a whole lot of South Carolina, and obviously it was a hell of a season for you guys, and you know, winning the Thank national you. title the year prior and you know, national player of the year, the accolades speak for themselves. How would you describe your, your, your style on the floor? Yeah, definitely physical post player. I think I do a great job of communicating, bringing energy all the time, but, you know, being that inside presence. You know, do you know Grace? 800 feet. Aaliyah, do you know Grace uh, Grace Berger at all? Of course. What do you think about her game, and uh, how well do you know her, I guess? Yeah, I mean, Grace and I played together on USA, so it's pretty exciting that we're going to be teammates um, again in this aspect, so I was really excited, but I was telling Grace that she's a mid-range bandit. Like, that's just, <laughs> she does that so well, and so I'm excited to be able to play with her and watch her do that again. It's now, amazing. Now, I don't want to totally give away your complete, like, you know, whereabouts right now, but <laughs> but now you're driving somewhere, clearly. Uh, yeah. Everything, can we help you find anywhere? No, well, right now, I'm going to Good Morning America. Oh, wow. Look at that. Okay. It's just a slight upgrade over our dog and pony (laughs) show here. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good Lord. We aren't even the JV game. We're we're the freshman game, and Good Morning America will be varsity Don't mind us. Hey, I'm curious about this, Aaliyah. Um, The reality is this. You know, you lost, I think as a senior in high school, you lost a game, right? Mm-hmm. At the University yeah. of South Carolina, I think you lost, what, a total of four games and f- five games maybe over the years? Yeah, I think I think so, something like that. So, but, I mean, it's kind of crazy. Right. So, and this is a good thing, obviously. You're used to winning. Yes. You're coming into a franchise where winning has been very rare. Mm-hmm. How do you adapt to that? You know, I just continue to do what I'm doing, what I've been doing, bring that type of energy, but... I mean, I think this year is going to be a winning year for the Fever. I just think we're going to do a really great job. We're going to everybody's going to mesh together, and I'm really excited for it. Your childhood, you moved, if I'm not mistaken, at a young age, um, yes, far away, you know, to Massachusetts. Yes, I, I believe U.S. Virgin Islands. Is that correct? Yes, correct. And basketball, I'm sure, was a big part of that. You went and lived with family members to to kind of increase your level of play. I would assume. Yes. How yes. much did that? mature you to be away from your mom and dad to to just kind of uproot into a totally different environment for the game itself did do you think that that played a part in kind of your elevation as a leader as a basketball player I definitely do I feel like I grew up really quickly um you know just moving to the states um and living with my aunt uh she just helped us to be able to grow up my sister and I and so first at this moment I think it's helped me become the leader that I am just because I know how to use my voice and I'm confident in it. She is Aaliyah Boston. She's on a real show coming up later this morning. That would be Good Morning America. We're the warm-up act. Yeah, but she is gracing us with her time here for a few more minutes. Um, Aaliyah, if you don't mind, describe yourself off the floor. What are your hobbies? What are your interests? Yeah, I'm definitely a homebody, so I love just relaxing, hanging out with friends, watching Netflix, maybe going to the movies, but I'm pretty chill. Um, I'm not really picky about anything, but yeah, except I don't like pickles. 
Oh. I hate pickles. Okay, I, get, I could probably get but behind that. Um, obviously, a, a huge chatter in the last week around the women's game centered around what we saw in the national championship, and I'm sure a bit of a sour taste for you and what happened in the national semifinal. But what did you make of all the attention that the Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese back and forth got in the national championship game? I mean, I think it's just, um, one, just good engagement, definitely. But, I mean, everybody's been watching. Everybody is talking about it. It's just going to continue to grow the game. And I think it doesn't just stop here. It's going to continue next year. And I think everyone, everyone's fan base is just going to continue to follow them, whether they stay in school or they head to the pros. Now, Aliyah, my last question for you here. Um, you know, I live in Indianapolis. People here are not fans of the Patriots. You went to high school in Massachusetts. I- I'm not a huge Yankees fan, but I prefer them to the Red Sox. Your last name is Boston. Oh I'm a Clemson fan, and you played what? at South Carolina. Now, can we come to a, a-, a peace treaty over a tenderloin? We're going to have to because we have a lot of differences. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know, so you, you have not been to Indianapolis really, I'm assuming, right? I mean, I'm assuming you came no, through I here haven't. for basketball events, but you've not yes. really done Indy, correct? Correct. Okay, well, Tyrese Halliburton welcomed you, which I thought was very cool. We look forward to yes. seeing the two of you become the face, respectively, of the two franchises in town and hopefully bring a lot of good basketball and good work around the city. And we are certainly, I think I speak for the city of Indianapolis in welcoming you and saying that we look forward to seeing what you can do on the basketball court for the Fever. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Congrats, Aaliyah. Thanks for the time. All right. Bye. That is Aaliyah Boston here on this Tuesday morning off to Good Morning America. Do you think we'll ever have a guest that does Kevin and Quarry and Good Morning America on the same day? Well, we're getting Joel Erickson right before his appearance. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah it was is like, he on the Today Show later, Mark? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, I was sure. I, I, do you guys remember Regis and Kelly? Oh, my gosh. My uh-huh. mom worshipped it. So when a coffee I coffee table book about coffee tables one time. <laughs> so, you know, that guy's bonko. So I... I um. When I was in college, Jason Gross and I for spring break went to New York, and his cousin somehow got tickets for Regis and Kelly. So we went, and I was we were the only two guys in the entire crowd. And Brian Austin Green was the guest. You guys remember him? Mm-hmm. And it the ex Mrs. Megan Fox and Vanessa Marcel. Mm-hmm. That guy got good, quite the track record good for him. So they during the commercial break they said, "Does anybody have any questions?" And I raised my hand and I said, "Dude, seriously, how much hair gel are you putting in there?" And they came back from the break. And Regis Philbin said, "You know, during the break, we take we take questions, and a, a guy, a guy in the back, and a guy from Indiana, because I had on an Indiana sweatshirt, <laughs> and they had me stand up." And Brian Austin Green's like, "Yeah, he got me about my hair gel. That's my moment in, of New York City live national television." Do you have that on VHS somewhere? Um, I I actually do. I think my uh, my mother in law and sister in law were uh, at the Today Show last year and actually got on camera for a few seconds. And cool. I mean, their reaction, I have a feeling, would be like if. Myself, Micah Shrewsbury, and Tiger Woods were together eating bacon somewhere. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty cool, though, right? I mean, it is a, a, a joyous moment for them. So thank you to Aaliyah Boston, the number one pick for the Indiana Fever. Uh, a pretty remarkable resume for Aaliyah Boston in her four years at South Carolina. Four-time All-American, four-time Leslie, or excuse me, Lisa Leslie, center of the year, four-time SEC Defensive Player of the Year, two-time National Player of the Year, and two-time Naismith Defensive Player of the Year. So a defensive focus for the Fever, and I'm guessing the Pacers would like to follow suit with their defensive effort this season and how poor it was. And in listening to Rick Carlisle yesterday, 
chat about that. So thank you to Leah Boston for joining us. Again, Joel A. Erickson coming up in an hour. Kevin and Quarry on a beautiful Tuesday here in Indy. We 5 and 107.5 The Fan. All right, tonight in the NBA, we're going to get the seven seed figured out in both the East and the West. In the East, it'll be the Heat hosting the Hawks. The Heat are a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, the winner of that will take on the Celtics uh, in a 2-7 matchup. The loser still has a chance to make the postseason. Um, and out West, it's going to be the Lakers against the dysfunctional of all dysfunction Minnesota Timberwolves, Rudy Gobert. Nothing says like, yeah, let's trade seven first-round picks and the dude gets suspended for the biggest game of the season. I mean, and that's, to your point yesterday, Kevin, that's a piece they gave up a fair amount to get, right? A a, a fair amount is an understatement. He was a final piece for them, so to speak. I love how they played the Lakers a few weeks ago. And in that game, Jaden McDaniels is guarding LeBron, Rudy Gobert is guarding Anthony Davis, and now one has broken his wrist from punching the wall, and Rudy Gobert is suspended for the biggest game of the season. Lakers, eight-and-a-half-point favorite. If they win that one, it will be the Lakers and the Grizzlies in round one. Thank you, Mark. Sorry, I was looking at MLB standings and looking at how great my diamond. Well, I can tell you exactly how your Diamondbacks are doing in the battle for the PBR six-pack. Right now, Mark's Arizona Diamondbacks at seven and four. That puts them a game and a half up on the cute fella. Baltimore now five and five after last night's five-one win over Kevin's Oakland Athletics, who are two and eight. Just stink. Hello down there. I needed a <laughs> huge handicap at the start of the year for that. Diamondbacks three nothing winners over the Milwaukee Brewers. considering PBRs on the line. Uh, Braves up the Reds 5-4 yesterday. Quite the uh, individual performance last night from Rangers pitcher Andrew Haney. Struck out nine straight batters against the Royals. That ties the AL record for most consecutive strikeouts in AL history. And how about the Tampa Bay Rays? They win yesterday 1-0 over the Red Sox. It's the best start Major League Baseball has seen since 1987. Yesterday was the first game all season they've had decided by less than four runs. Think about that. Nine in a row to start the year, all by four runs or more. And yesterday, they win a pitcher's duel there. Um, Again, the longest win streak since 1987. College basketball news yesterday. Oregon center Khalil Ware, I hope I'm saying that correctly, as you had mentioned earlier, Kevin, uh, transferring from Oregon to Indiana, a former top 10 recruit, announced yesterday that he will join Mike Woodson's Hoosiers. And already, most people on social media were stitching out the banner. He averaged six and a half points and four rebounds a game and a reserve role for Oregon last year. As a matter of fact, just about 15 minutes per game. Had 18 and nine against UConn, 17 and nine against Michigan State early in the season. And then his minutes seriously dwindled. Started uh, five out of 34 games, I think it was, for Oregon last year, but still a top five recruit when he came out of high school and a five-star player, seven-footer. The other notable news from Bloomington last night, it was Grace Berger being drafted by the Indiana Fever with the seventh overall pick yesterday. I thought, you know what, let's ask Lynn Dunn about Grace Berger and see what happens tonight. And this was Lynn Dunn's answer yesterday morning with us. I thought she had a great season, and we mentioned versatility and positionless potential. Uh, The great thing about Grace is she can play the one, the two, and the three. She's six foot. She's big. She's strong. 
he's physical, and uh, that's a big adjustment when you go to the next level, the physicality of the league. Everything's faster and everything's more physical. And and she she is a great leader. She's a floor leader. She you know she leads on the court and she leads off the court. A lot of positives about Grace. Lynn Dunn was fired up yesterday when no uh, there were some thoughts about you're drafting Grace Berger simply because she's in your own backyard. She made that pretty clear after the draft pick that that was not the case with the Louisville native and the IU product. All right, when we come back here on Kevin and Corey again, is a very nice start to this Tuesday morning here in Indy. We'll talk some Colts trading up to number three. That was the chat around at the NFL world yesterday. It sounds like Anthony Richardson is due in Indy this week for a top 30 visit. Chat that. And again, Khalil Ware to Indiana. A little bit more on the Arkansas native at Oregon for a year. What that could mean for Mike Woodson's bunch coming up this fall. Kevin Bowen, Jake Quarry, Mark Dykton right here on 93.5, 5, The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Let's get into Aaliyah Boston, uh, number one pick from the Fever. She joined us right out of the gate here on this Tuesday morning. If you missed it, we'll probably re-rack it to close out the show today. But it seems like a pretty pretty fun personality, Jake. Have you been to Boston? Uh, just briefly. I know you didn't go to Cheers, but... Uh, when I covered Colts games out there, though, it was primarily Providence. I like Providence. I think Providence is kind of underrated. Yeah, kind of like a cool old school city. It, it vibe. is, man. I, Providence is a very great little Italian district that I liked. Underappreciated. Uh, now the games weren't too great. Foxborough's in the middle of nowhere. Well, people don't realize, Kevin. If I know we've mentioned this before, if you if you were someone from Indianapolis that was going to a Patriots game against the Colts. I think Providence is the smarter play to fly into because right. the stadium is literally halfway between the two cities. Yeah, the stadium is like, you know, if Boston is Indy, the stadium's like in Martinsville. Correct. Which is just a weird, yeah, very weird to kind of imagine that. And we've, you know, always obviously had our stadiums downtown, so um, it's pretty unusual. Yeah, and Providence for is this Bedford. market. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. I mean, not only is the stadium far from Boston, but then you get off the highway and it's still another like 15 miles yeah. to get to the stadium. And there's not a lot of, you know, pathways in yeah. in, in there. So um, it is kind of a cool drive in, a very kind of a woodsy feel to it. Um, I think the Colts are in New England this year, if I'm not mistaken, or I think the Patriots are once again on the schedule. Um, I thought the big kind of NFL news yesterday, Adam Schefter r- reported that six teams have inquired. 
The Arizona Cardinals about trading up to that number three pick. Obviously, when I saw that news, this screams up the Arizona Cardinal. This screams to me the Arizona Cardinals are saying, all right, let's drive that price a little bit more. Um, I think the best thing for the Colts, and I've long been an advocate of trading up to number three. I think that is, again, the first pivot point of the draft. I think it's important to, if you have any sway one way or the other on Anthony Richardson and Will Levis, you get up there and now you're the one making that choice and not being left with leftovers, um, which another team seems like they might have some interest in. I also think it's good to kind of cover the surprise. What if C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young, for some reason, don't go one or two? Then you're there at three in position to take one of the two of them. I also think maybe the best thing for the Colts in this situation is I'd assume Arizona doesn't want to get too much further down the board than four. I mean, listen to Deontay Lee, who he had on to round out yesterday's show. Jake, asked him the question. In 10 years, give me a Hall of Famer from this draft class. The first name he said was Will Anderson. Well, Arizona has Kyler Murray. They Losing J.J. Watt. To retirement, the defensive side of the ball, I think, has been an issue for them. They, if they get any further than four down the board, they might not get Will Anderson. So I do think that is advantageous for the Colts. Um, what do you see from Chris Ballard and the potential of trading up to three? Uh, I, I think Chris Ballard sees it's all about risk reward, right? And I don't think I, I, I truly believe this. I think Chris Ballard looks at it and says the reward of moving up one spot is not worth the risk of what I would potentially have to give up to get there. I, I think... So a couple third-rounders, something like that, is too risky? Yeah, because I don't think... The easiest way I can explain it, Kevin, is... If you were to give each player a score, okay? CJ Stroud is a and I'm I'm just going to throw out numbers for the sake of argument. Um, an 8.5. Bryce Young is a 8.5. Anthony Richardson is a 7.9 and Will Levis is a 7.7. Now, I personally, I'm saying in Chris Ballard's eyes. Then you look at it and you say, okay, that means there's a difference of 0.8 from 4 to 1. I consider a third-round pick worth a 1.0, then boom, I'm better off staying. The numbers don't add up for me. Does it get weighted more because it's quarterback No, with those numbers? I mean... Because to me, that's the most important position in sports. I understand. And what I'm saying is I don't think that they... I I do not think I have no evidence that the Indianapolis Colts believe there is a big enough gap from four to three to two to one to position themselves any better than where they are. I think they look at it as we are okay where we are because we are confident that whichever of these four falls to us, it'd be great if we have our choice, but if we have to basically let the market dictate which one we end up with, we're, we have decided through our evaluation that we're okay with that. Would it be worth it to move up to three just in case Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud do fall? 
No, because I think, again, they believe that the gap from those two players to Will Levis or Anthony Richardson is more narrow than the gap that you create for yourself by giving up pieces. Yeah, I look at it and think to myself, just play out the hypothetical. Um, you know, whatever. Let's go to like, I'm trying to think of third round picks the Colts have had. You know, Bobby O'Karake and and Kari Willis is a fourth rounder. But like, to me, Bobby O'Karake and Kari Willis, that combination that would be worth giving up to get Bryce Young versus Will Levis. But the thing or is this, C.J. Stroud versus Will Will Levis or I, Anthony Richardson. To me, the gap from that top tier, Stroud and Young, to Levis and Richardson is big enough that it would be worth two third-round picks. And this is going to sound like I'm, I'm being argumentative. I'm not trying to be. But th- that's... Your opinion of that may be just and may be fair and may be accurate, but it has no bearing on what they're going to do. And clearly, if they wanted to move up to three, they would have done it by now. Well, I, why, why would you wait until other teams now all of a sudden are in the market and then uh, they? If the Colts thought well, it's a there two was way a, street, Arizona's got to say yes. And if you're Arizona, there's no point in doing any trade until eight. I get it, but, if they, but do you believe that they've even extended that conversation? I think the Colts are one of the six teams that. Adam Schefter mentioned yesterday. Okay. But if you're Arizona, wouldn't you wait? Shouldn't you wait until maybe Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud is sitting there at three, two weeks from Thursday? And now all of a sudden, teams that maybe didn't think it was possible that Stroud or Young could be there, now they start calling. They're like, whoa, whoa. Hey, when we talked to you a month ago, we didn't think one of those two would be there. Now one of them is there. That is going to drive up the asking price. So I, I think I don't necessarily think Arizona is in some huge sense of urgency to get it done now and i don't think kevin and i may be proven wrong in this but i just i don't think that the colts feel a sense of urgency of moving up i i just don't i mean yeah i don't disagree with that uh again the my opinion the texans are a curveball there's no doubt about that because i think that we all assume that houston is going to make this point kind of moot because they're going to take a quarterback but they may not the texans may say you know what we're going to ride this out one more year they may i i don't know for certain that and again kevin i go back to you've heard me ask every single draft expert we've had on the same question to the point of i am a 45 with a scratch and a beer stain on it at this point i get it but is this a draft that has four quarterbacks up high because there are four franchise quarterbacks in it? Or is this a draft that has four quarterbacks up high because there are more than four franchises who need a quarterback? And I think it's the latter. I I don't think... I think that you have two players... What's interesting to me, Kevin, is I think you have two players in Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud both that were the automatic consensus, foregone conclusion, slam dunk, one and two quarterbacks in no particular order in this draft. And I think as the process has played out, they haven't necessarily done anything to, to, to take that away from themselves, but I don't know that they've necessarily blown anyone's doors off. And then you have two other players in, in Anthony Richardson and Will Levis that because of the point about those two guys that have now moved up a little bit and shown themselves as 
really decent fallback options if you can't get Stroud or Young because I don't think that Stroud or Young through the process have shown an Andrew Luck or a Joe Burrow or a Trevor Lawrence or a Peyton Manning level tendency where it's like I have to have that guy if they did I don't know that we'd even be having the conversation from a national standpoint about which of the two of them goes number one it would be a slam dunk yeah but you know that's a fascinating part of the process because if you look at the last handful of drafts I mean Josh Allen went seven Justin Herbert went six you know Mahomes went 10 like just because you don't go one or two doesn't mean there isn't that trait in there that can get you to that level I do think something that you know, in talking to, to to people that are much more familiar with the Texans situation, that it's probably worth noting. I think the Texans want Bryce Young. So let's say Bryce Young goes one to Carolina. The foregone conclusion is then CJ Stroud would then be there at two for Houston. I don't know how much stock to put into this, but again, I think it's worth mentioning CJ Stroud's agent is the same agent as Deshaun Watson's. We know how things ended in Houston with Deshaun Watson and ownership. And I mean, this is well before any sort of massage therapist stuff that obviously became the dominant headline down there. Would Houston have any reservations about that? Would CJ Stroud's camp have reservations about that? I think that is something that, again, maybe isn't a storyline that we're talking a ton about, but. I think it's something to keep in mind a little bit there. But I would think, Kevin, that – and it's an interesting point for certain, and I'm not ruling that out, but but don't you feel like most agents have had cross-pollination between client and organizations across the board? You would think, and yes, to your point, I also think the Watson stuff was pretty explosive. No, 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 no question. And again, this is before but what all I'm the saying massage. is what I'm saying is: does the agent not have other affiliations with the Houston Texans? And is that Maybe the, not is that to the, the level of the number two overall pick, and you're risking a whole lot of your franchise when you make such a selection. Your your uh, your guess at the six teams Schefter was referring to: six teams acquired about number three. I mean, I would have no idea. I, you know, the Jets, maybe. Really, with Rodgers? The I mean, Jets have the ammo to do that. They don't have them yet. I'm with Mark on that. Um, See, Joe Douglas had some like pep rally this weekend, saying that it was a the Commanders. Yeah, I thought. I mean. I think the easy way to go is obviously the teams right after Indy. I mean, you got the Colts at four, you got the Seahawks at five, the Lions at six, Raiders at seven. I, I, I think all four of those teams would check that box. Kevin, I, 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 I don't rule out the possibility that that a team. I'm just going to throw out uh, top of my head a team, right? Seattle Seahawks. I don't throw out the possibility that Seattle's like, you know what? We think there's a generational defensive player there that we'd like to get at three. We want to move up and get him. The Lions have two first-round picks. They could easily be like, here. Yeah, so I, I would go, again, those first four teams down to the Raiders. I would throw the Falcons in there at eight. And then the, the last team that I would throw in there, I think Tennessee at 11. Mm-hmm. Arizona's GM came from the Titans. Um, I think that's something you got to worth noting as well. Can you imagine if... Um, I could see Tennessee having some interest. 
Can you imagine if the Colts end up with the fourth of the four quarterbacks because two teams in the AFC South got their choice before them? And again, Jake, that's part of my worry about sitting there at four. That'd be a fun day after show. Are you willing to look at Houston and Tennessee for the next decade and say, boy, they left us that? Well, if you get the one, it's entirely possible, Kevin, that, you know, the year that uh, Josh Allen was drafted, who went in front of him? Baker and Darnold. Okay. Who won that? The team that drafted third. The team that got the third choice. The Colts would not get the third choice here. They'd get the fourth choice. Well, but choice. what I'm saying is, at that point, it was like they got the leftovers, right? Because Baker and Darnold went in front of them. But they traded up twice for Allen. They, 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 I, I they get clearly... it, but you get my point. My point being, you just you don't know. The, the, it's going to be easy the next day to say the Colts lost the draft. Well, we'll find out in a couple years, right? Joel A. Erickson going to join us coming up here at 8.30. Again, it is another glorious uh, day here in Indy. I just said screw the jacket. Too good. Too good of a day to be rocking that. Um, beautiful week all week long here at Indy. 8 o'clock hour, Kevin Quarry coming up next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Had a lot of discussion last uh, segment about the Colts potentially straighten up to number three and um, you know the debate that Arizona obviously will have. And if I'm Arizona, I'm waiting until you know, two minutes are left on the clock two weeks from Thursday just to make sure we field all the calls and get as big of a trade package as possible. Um, on that Texans front, again, I don't think there is like a clear report out there, but given the, again, explosive nature to Sean Watson and how – his relationship with the Texans ended. C.J. Stroud's agent is the same as Watson's agent. David Mulaget is his name. Destin pointed this out to me. Um, Mulaget reps over 40 guys in the NFL. He has nobody on the Texans. Of the 40 guys, how many different teams are they on? Uh, just scrolling I mean, through the list it? right now. Browns, Rams, Saints, Chargers, Titans, Cardinals, Seahawks, Falcons, Panthers, Dolphins, Commanders, Bengals, Packers, Colts, Lions, Cowboys, Raiders. I mean, seems to call seems to cover a lot of the bases. So again, I, I don't want to act like there is some like huge report out there, but I think when you talk about how the Watson thing ended, the fact that this is a quarterback, it's a franchise-altering decision. I would think if I'm in the Texans organization, it's a discussion that you have to have. Here, here's a better question, Kevin. You you have always said that as an organization, if you have a quarterback that is your guy, you go get him, right? Does that – do you go get him regardless of who his agent is? Yeah, I – I would like to th- hope and think the relationship could be mended, but I just remember back to that Watson thing, Jake, and David Mulighetto was such a pub. It was borderline Rosenhaus and right. how public his comments were about it. This was not, you know, whatever, CAA or other agencies that might play a little bit more close to the vest. So, yes, to your point, but boy, this is a, it's a pretty unique situation. So, 
we'll see how the Texans handle things here coming up in a couple of weeks. The other thing I, I think I wonder about this, and I don't mean it's a conscious thing. But Chris Ballard Chris Ballard's a general manager that I think you'd say is average. Came in, was thought to be the greatest thing since sliced bread, was billed as like like you know, it was like, oh man, this he comes in, you know, with high praise and you know, this is he's the bright young star of general managers. And I think we know the track record. And Ballard always kind of had a way to to kind of smooth his way out of critique. I'll give him credit for that. And I think that Chris Ballard, and I'll give him credit for this as well, I think he was more, for the first time after last year, he had no choice. But for the first time, he showed some humility. And I think people liked that. I think people liked the fact of like he was willing to say, you know what, uh, I, I I made some mistakes, and that was a. I think people welcomed that, and I think we are a society that likes to forget. We like to build up, tear down, and then forgive, right? And I think people kind of forgave him. Like okay, they liked that humility, but I think he knows deep down that that that. The spotlight's never been brighter. The, the heat of those light bulbs has never been more intense than right now because the true measure, the true test, the true boulder in the stream of a general manager's career is a franchise quarterback draft. Not trading for one, not signing one as a free agent, but drafting, cultivating a young franchise quarterback. And I think he knows that a lot rides on this year's draft. And I also think he knows that because of that, you need to put yourself in position to take the player that gives you the best chance to succeed and let that pan out for you. But is there a small part in the back of his mind, and I'm being very Freudian, not even consciously, but does he have, does he back away from the edge of the diving board when he really thinks about it in terms of trading to move up based on the fact that he knows that if he moves up or gives away assets to move one or two spots, then that is tipping his hand that there is a player that he is willing to put his future pieces on the line for and thus magnifying the pressure on the magnitude of that particular pick as opposed to just staying at four, playing it safe, and then if that player is not the one that pans out. It's like, well, we were drafting fourth. I don't know what you wanted us to do. That Those other guys weren't available. If you, if there is not a certainty and not an absolute can't-miss prospect of those four quarterbacks, and if those four quarterbacks are there because or, or are high on the list strictly because there are quarterback need teams drafting high – if he knows that, does he say, you know what, I'm going to stay where I am because I believe the swing and miss potential is the same for all four. So I'm not going to risk 
I'm not going to – I can more subtly swing and miss if I stay at four. But if I move up to three or two – not two, but if I move up to three – and then I swing and miss, then it's, then I am confessing that that's a player that I absolutely thought I had to have as opposed to a player that I had to take because that's the one that was there for me. Uh, boy, he would have to have an absurd amount of blackmail on Jim Mersey to get away with another swing and miss. Um, or just, I would say, another miss. You could argue how big of a swing he's taken at quarterback. I mean, no matter if it's three, four, or ten. This decision will decide how long he is here no as general question. manager. So I, I don't think like him staying at four would all of a sudden in Jim Mercy's eyes mean, oh well, he's not really trying fully. He's I'm not. Just I'm not saying trying. that, but is it in the back of his mind of this to exactly what you just said? Yeah, Th- this pick is going to make or break me either way. So uh, so I need to make sure that I have as much supporting cast and stability around this pick as possible by not surrendering assets and pieces you could look at it that way or you could look at it as i want to make sure i get the guy that i want you know you could probably look at it but kevin here's but here's my question for you what you just said i've got to make sure i get the guy that i want what if chris ballard knows deep down that the guy that he wants ain't in this draft what if he's looking at it going none of these four guys are guys there's a difference between like you know what I mean? Like when you go to a Christmas tree lot to get a Christmas tree and you bring home the tree and people are like, that's the tree you picked out. And you're like, well, it's not necessarily the one I wanted, but it's the only one that was available. I'm not because this was just a bad year for Christmas trees. It was the be- it was one of the best Christmas trees on the lot, but they weren't as good as last year's Christmas trees because they're just it wasn't a good year for growing trees. Probably shouldn't have waited so long then. Yeah, that that's probably a good way to put it. Mark. No, but what I'm saying. No, no, no. But I'm saying. It, what if they say? What if the what if the farmer in in Vermont says this was just a bad year for Christmas trees? These are the best trees that that are available out there, and you're like, well, but those aren't as pretty as last year's trees. And and they and I read the farmer's almanac, and next year's trees are supposed to look really pretty. And the farmer says, that's great, but you're screwed because you need a tree this year, and this is the crop that we came up. We didn't have a lot of rain this year. These are the trees that you have to pick from. I would say you're probably going to be picking in the top 10 next year, too. So you can take a quarterback this year, and then you'll probably be in the same boat next year. Yeah, I think you got to look at it and say, um, first of all, I, I don't look at the quarterbacks in that light. Um, but I think he might. I think you have to realize that Shane Steichen needs something to work with. I, I get and that. It would be a disservice to... But Kevin, what I'm saying to you is, what about the possibility that Chris Ballard is not enamored with this class of quarterbacks? Right. I just would disagree with that. Um, I, I I think given the quarterback play, the quarterback turnover, I should say, the offensive play from last season, and the fact that you have not won a division in eight years, you just went four twelve and one. Um, you've been really the laughing stock of the AFC South over that time when everyone in the division has won the division at least twice in that span. You have to try. You have to take a chance again, and, and give Shane Steichen... Again, I totally understand that they have painted themselves into the corner where this is the year they have to take a quarterback. No argument. What I'm saying is, do we have definitive proof that Chris Ballard believes that all th- all other things given, that this is the year that he would want to take a quarterback? I guess we never have definitive proof, because why would he publicly say that? But again, you're at a point in the franchise where you, you have got to try and give your quarterback centric coach a chance to develop somebody because 
again, you, you, you truly never know until you get these quarterbacks into a professional football setting. Um, they're a bust all all throughout the top 10, whether it's a number one overall pick, and there's hits at all different points in the top 10. You know, you look at the seven quarterbacks that were in the playoffs last year from the AFC, I believe five of them were drafted outside of the top four. So it's not just like you you get the guy at one, you get the guy at two, and he's an automatic hit, or vice versa. Just because you draft him outside of the top four doesn't mean that that guy isn't going to pan out for you. I mean, last year, over half of the quarterbacks in the AFC were taken after the first four picks. So um, I don't think it's one of those things where just because there isn't a Burrow, there isn't a Luck, there isn't a Lawrence, means all of a sudden there doesn't mean you can't find a quality quarterback that you give Shane Sykin a chance to grow and develop. Again, I I don't disagree with that, but what I'm saying is I think that we are under the assumption because we think that C.J. Stroud, I think C.J. Stroud's a dynamic talent. I I can't speak for, you know, Chris Ballard has a different eye and, and a more trained eye, I mean, admittedly, than, than me or you or Mark or anybody else. I mean, we don't know exactly what he's thinking in terms of how much he values, but he knows he's painted himself in that corner. Jim Irsay, in particular, has painted him into that corner by basically saying, you could tell that Jim Irsay has basically said, look, the the whole like one-year rentals, over. Carson Wentz was, was the big one that, that changed everything because it was like, okay, it, it, we took our shot with a guy that we thought, you know, everybody knew Matt Ryan wasn't going to be here more than two years at the most. So the, the time is now. Everybody knows that. Mark, is it Beck? Yeah. Uh, Beck, want to talk some Chris Ballard. What's up, Beck? Hey, guys. Uh, love the show. Thank you. Um, I, I'm, I'm more along the lines of, of kind of agreeing with, with Jake. I've thought that ever since uh, Ballard made the trade-back comment. Um, I think he's exactly in the position that he wants to be in because he didn't want to trade up to be ahead of Houston. Because if he makes the wrong pick there, then he has to live with that of Houston maybe having a better quarterback. But I think if he stays at four, then he's able to just sit back and say exactly what Jake said. Hey, what did you want me to do? That's all I had available to pick from. So I think he's he's kind of positioned himself as he always has to have an escape route, for lack of a better term. But I just think that's the way he's headed in his direction. Beck, I think he gets fired whether the quarterback works out at two, three, or four. I mean, I, I don't think it matters too much where you're drafting the quarterback after six years of the resume that he's well, had. I agree with that. He, he's lucky to have a job at this point, and now this is the final straw. And obviously, he'll get a couple of years to watch this quarterback situation play out. You know, it's not like if they go whatever three and thirteen, three and fourteen next year, all of a sudden Jim Mercy is going to fire him one thousand percent. But to me, it has little to no bearing on where you draft within the top four. If the quarterback works, Chris Boward's going to be here. If the quarterback doesn't work out, he's not going to be here. The thing for Chris Ballard that would make me uneasy, Bill Polian, Kevin, was a gruff individual. By his own admission, Bill Pullian was not warm and friendly. He was difficult to deal with. He had everybody inside of the building walking around on pens and needles all the time. He was 
immediate combustion at any moment. But he drafted Hall of Fame players. He drafted some of them on day two or three. He built a team that went to multiple conference championships and won a Super Bowl for this franchise. And yet, at the very first moment that there was a dent in his approach, Jim Mercer fired him. Now, there's a lot that went into that. Part of it was Bill Polian just kind of like announcing that his son would take over for him. Whether or not that had been cleared with ownership, I don't know. But there appeared to be this regime of autonomy that Jim Mercer began to resent. But the outward kind of prickly nature of Bill Polian is in my opinion a big factor as to why when Jim when it came down to it Jim Mercer went with his gut instinct and ran him out of town even though they get along well now but with that resume that was put him in the Hall of Fame he couldn't survive the fact that Jim Mercer resented the way Bill Polian treated people within the building Ryan Grigson Ryan Grigson had Andrew Luck, I think Ryan Grigson makes very valid points as to some of the things that went wrong with Andrew Luck and whether or not Ryan Grigson was 100% to blame. But in the end, a big part of why Ryan Grigson was relieved of his duties is because a survey group brought in by Jim Ursay told him that people in the building were uncomfortable with Ryan Grigson. Chris Ballard. My understanding is within the building, very well liked at first. Everybody loved him. Southern drawl, gentleman, batty eyes, nice sweaters. But as time has gone on and the production has not been there, Kevin, what do you hear now when people talk about Chris Ballard? A little bit arrogant, very sure of himself. Kind of dismissive. To be fair, I don't really hear that from many, if any, people in the building. That's what I said. Within the building, well-liked. But eventually, if the track record is not there, like anything else, that stuff starts to turn, and and it starts to, to stick to you more and more. You certainly hear more of it within the community and the fan base than you did three the fan base three years ago everybody loved him now people are like ah he seems kind of like a like he's pretty full of himself da 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 i to your point admittedly i do hear within the building that people like him a great deal and he's a very nice person so i think for ursay the dynamic of how he is viewed within the building is very important and has that extended his leash You talk about six years of zero production is part of that because he has the benefit of coming off of two guys that Jim Mercer looked at and said, those two guys created atmosphere that my employees didn't like working under. And at least in his case, people enjoy working on it. And has that extended his leash? And therefore, so Ballard, does he have this dichotomy where he's like, okay, I, people like me, so that that's that's a good thing within the building and the way that I go about my business. But I also know that I have to get this right because I need football results to back up the sentiment about me. Because at some point, that's Jim Ursay himself is going to take a look at it, or is Ursay running out of patience? I mean, you know what I mean. 
Is Ursay looking at it saying, I like this guy. And Jim Ursay's been a cheerleader for Chris Ballard. But is Jim Ursay willing to extend that beyond if this quarterback pick doesn't work out? No, I mean, if it doesn't work out, Ballard's gone. 1,000%. And I think Ursay's comments last Does Ballard week, know that, do you think? Yeah, I mean, he's not. I, I don't think he's an idiot. Um, I think Ursay's comments two weeks ago at the owners' meeting told you everything you needed to know. For the first time in Ursay's tenure as owner with Ballard as his GM, he stopped short of saying this guy's going to be in Canton one day. He stopped short of talking about Ballard as a Hall of Fame GM and has to acknowledge the elephant in the room. And the upper quartile comments that he made back in November, I think deep down he knows those are beyond ridiculous. And if you look at it in more of a present-day five, ten-year window, the Colts have not sniffed any of that. So I think Ursay, I'm not saying Ballard is on some hot seat that's scorching. He's going to be gone next year. Obviously you get multiple years with a young quarterback, but if you get to a point where you know this young quarterback is not working out, Ballard will be gone. The upper quartile comments were not lunacy, Kevin. They were awesome. (laughs) (laughs) They were, uh, they they were incredible. Uh, But then didn't he call Chris Ballard, Michael Jordan? I don't think he's doing that anymore. I would agree with that. There's no doubt that that there's no doubt that that Chris Ballard's smooth ride on the airplane is probably hit a little bit of turbulence. Whatever. You know how many shots Michael Jordan's missed? You know how many games Michael Jordan's lost? It's got to be a lot of shots missed, in all honesty. Yeah. But again, not a lot of makes in the Ballard camp. That's that was what was confusing. You know to what me I about say about that. Michael Jordan, though, Kevin. His last game as a bowl against the Utah Jazz, he was 17 of 37, and nobody talks about the 20 he missed. You hit the big one, that's all that matters. 17 of 37 is a decent percentage. And he rode off into the sunset, and he never played another game. <laughs> yeah. At Washington Wizards' time was, was dark. Uh, Joel A. Erickson going to join us here in a few. Let's hit a morning check down. The morning check down. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. All right, we talked with Aaliyah Boston, the Indiana Fever's number one pick in the opening hour. The Fever had uh, five selections last night. Obviously, Aaliyah Boston at number one overall got a ton of headlines, but so did Grace Berger, the seventh overall pick. The Indiana product will be playing here for The Fever. If you missed the Aaliyah Boston interview, we'll re-rack that to close out the show today at 9.45. Come on. Mark, did you like sticks? Yeah, I I was going to say, did you spill like cereal? No, no sugary cereal cereal on the button over there. What's going on? No, no, nothing. Just sticks sometimes. Uh, The Baltimore Orioles, by the way, are now five and five. This I, of course, mentioned because each of the three of us have a team represented in our uh, our run for PBR. Arizona is right now at seven and four leading. That is Mark Dykton's Arizona Diamondbacks. They won yesterday three nothing over the Brewers. Um, ironic they that they swimming in the pool out there, Mark. They took Brewers three of four from the Dodgers over the weekend. It was a good weekend. Orioles over the Athletics five one. Kevin has the A's. They are two and eight. The big story Major League Baseball that of the Tampa Bay Rays. They win one nothing over the Red Sox. They are now ten and zero. Five pitchers combined on a three hitter for. The Rays. Reds yesterday on the short end against the Braves, 5-4. It was the Rockies, 7-4 over the St. Louis Cardinals. Other games of note, Dodgers over the Giants, 9-1. White Sox yesterday winners, so too were the Cubs. And the Indianapolis Indians yesterday playing Idaho Lower East. That means they were idle. 
Uh, tonight in the NBA, we'll get the seventh seed slotted in in each of the two conferences. It'll be the Heat and Hawks at 7.30. You can find that on TNT. Uh, the Heat hosting the Hawks in that one. They're favored by five and a half. And the nightcap, um, not often that it's the team that's not the Lakers is the dysfunctional one. It's the Minnesota Timberwolves. They are... Uh, they've really defined that here in the last 48 hours. Rudy Gobert's suspended for tonight's game. Jaden McDaniels is out after breaking his wrist. Uh, they are an eight and a half point underdog on the road at the Staples Center. The winner of that one is going to take on the Grizzlies. So just a reminder: the winners tonight in the seven seed against the respective twos. The losers still have a chance to make the playoffs. They will host home games later this week. Tomorrow night, you've got the win-to-keep-your-season-alive games. That's the Raptors and the Bulls in Toronto and the Pelicans and the Thunder in New Orleans. Again, those two tomorrow night. Uh, College basketball, one note from yesterday. Khalil Ware, I hope I'm saying his first name correctly, who was a top-five recruit a year ago that committed to the University of Oregon, Fell out of favor with Dana Altman, who questioned his work ethic. 6.6 points and 4.1 rebounds per game after getting out to a really good start of his college career, the seven-footer for Oregon. Fell out of favor, only started in five of 30-plus games for the Ducks, announcing he is transferring to Mike Woodson's Indiana Hoosiers. So, Indiana fans excited to get a five-star top-five player who I guess they're hoping kind of has a reawakening in Bloomington. Talk more about that coming up in a bit. Coming up next, though, it'll be Joel A. Erickson from the Indianapolis Star. Covers the Colts. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Points us next. Half past eight in Indianapolis, Jake Quarry along with Kevin Bowen. It is, Kevin, we keep saying it every break, right? Could it be more perfect outside? Absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> and again, this is all week long. The Indians could not have a better week to be at home in the month of April. Remember, like, the 60-degree deal? I think they're going to be paying for that this week. Have you looked at the weekend forecast? Uh, Actually, Saturday's not bad. I was going to say, it really is through Saturday, right? And then Sunday, it starts to go down just a little bit? Rains a little bit, yeah, but... I mean, Jake, you're going to Long Beach. Boy, these next couple days kind of look like it. Totally. It's exactly what it looks like in Long Beach. Sunny, 70, not a cloud in the sky. It's beautiful. Uh, let's head to the Payless Liquors Hotline. Joel A. Erickson joins us from the Indianapolis Star. Good morning, Joel. Hey, how's it going? Uh, it is going well. Local Pro Day yesterday, you were there in attendance. Jake and I were talking about this earlier. Uh, besides the Colts, which other teams do you think rank on like the bottom end of the local Pro Day talent around the NFL? Oh, that's a good one. Um, probably, like... The Raiders are probably a little bit in trouble now that they're in Las Vegas. Ooh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, That's not a good not one. really a big program. Not really a big program there. Um, trying to think. Who we else thought you know Green Bay, place? probably a little bit of Buffalo. How far is Madison from Green Bay? I think I think Wisconsin. I think they get. I think they get grandfathered into Wisconsin. Okay. So that probably helps. Because you know, right, outside of that, because the Colts don't get Notre Dame, they don't get Ohio State, but they get. Illinois. I mean, I know I, 
Fighting Line, I had like a good year this year, but. I would love to see the coverage maps because, like, uh, on these local pro days, because I do feel like, I feel like the Colts are probably probably should be able to like get a ton of Midwest like big time prospects, uh, be- just because it's not that far. Like, it's local, you know. Like, you know, Columbus and Ohio State are only you know what two and a half hours away. That's local for me. I was looking at a map yesterday, and South Bend is like 20 miles further than Champaign from Indy. And I think it's yeah. based off where your complex is as well. Not to get like too technical with it, but the fact that the Colts' complex is on the west side obviously gets them a little bit closer to Champaign. I'm going, I'm going Broncos, man. Unless Colorado or Colorado State has good players. What, what I mean? Yeah, but like I don't know. Is the Denver high school scene decent? Yeah. No. no, 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 no. Because really. it, it, if you look at the Colts Pro Day yesterday, the best players that were at least on the list are indie high school kids that have gone on to play elsewhere. It's Dewan Jones, yeah. the Ben Davis product at Ohio State, Emil Echior, the Cathedral kid down at Alabama, you know, Juju Brents, the Warren kid at, at Kansas State. It's not like it's Indiana, Purdue, and Illinois kids. I always thought that when I covered the Saints, that the Saints have such an advantage because they get both LSU and New Orleans proper high schoolers. Yeah, no kidding, Boy, man. That I is mean, good. Yeah, <laughs> Reggie Wayne, Peyton Manning. Okay, let's go. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They get. They get. They get to just like reap all the benefits of the local pro day. Yeah, Arch Manning at your old uh, your old <laughs> pro day there isn't isn't too bad. Hey, Joe. Kevin and I have talked a lot about quarterback, you know, for the last month probably. Um, Give me a name or a position. More like year. Of somebody, yeah, no kidding. Of somebody that the Colts could be looking at after they select a quarterback in the first round. Well, they desperately need a cornerback. You know, and I think I think that the uh, the one guy for the local pro day that was kind of obvious, just because of the way he tested and the way he fits kind of what the the way Chris Ballard has drafted was, was Juju Brents yesterday. He didn't work out, but he He's a big there. dude. Yeah, really big dude. And sort of like, I can't remember who it was, but one of the other writers was saying, like, like if you were trying to build a Gus Bradley corner, that dude is basically it. <laughs> like, in terms of the size, and then and he's got all the all the speed and the, and the explosiveness that um, Chris Ballard likes. So, like, they, but they, they absolutely kind of have to get a cornerback. Um, and that one, that one, people have been talking about really ever since the combine. Like, he started testing maybe before the combine, but he started testing. It was like, okay, he's hitting all all the benchmarks for a Chris Ballard-type player. Yeah, I was looking at him yesterday and thought, gosh, is that guy like a small linebacker? I mean, he was a um, he was a pretty impressive-looking dude walk, uh, watching off to the side. Again, Joel A. Erickson is with us here from the Indianapolis Star. Joel, I think some of the big news yesterday around the NFL was Adam Schefter's report about the Cardinals sitting there at number three. I believe the report said six teams have inquired about trading up to number three. Uh, what do you make of that, and how do you feel like Arizona will handle that here over the next two weeks and two days and probably take it all the way to the final minute of draft night? Yeah, Arizona made it clear at the Combine that they want to trade out of that pick. Um, and so they, if they – like, they're, they're, they're trying to replicate, I think, sort of what the Colts did in 18, you know, when they traded down from three and – and got that big haul of picks that, that they were able to turn into something, you know? And, um, and so I, I think the Cardinals have made it very obvious that they want to do that. The, the interesting thing I saw yesterday 
in some of the reporting is just there's this feeling now in the NFL, and who knows? Who knows if this stuff is right or not? It, everyone says as everyone says it's lying season, but um, there's a lot of momentum that Carolina uh, that people think Carolina is going to take Bryce Young now, and the, that's that's not necessarily the interesting part. The interesting part was I read was reading Albert Breer, and I've seen this bandied about elsewhere too. That if the Texans can't get Bryce Young there's a chance that they could pause their quarterback search until next year. And, I mean, if you think about that, if you think about somehow there's only one quarterback off the board and the Texans pick is up for sale or you get to the Cardinals pick and I guess you assume C.J. Stroud is the target, there could be a real feeding frenzy on number three. Yeah, we are. Who, knows, who knows, again, if that's what's actually going on or if the, the Panthers have settled on Stroud, but it, that, that was a really interesting, I thought, like I was reading that going, that's the way this draft gets really interesting really fast is if the Texans don't want a quarterback. Yeah, we were talking about that earlier a little bit with C.J. Stroud. I don't know how much you've delved into the agency situation there. David Mulugeta yeah. and Deshaun Watson's agent. Again, I don't, I don't want to act like this is like gospel, but I do think it's an interesting point to bring up. M- Mulaget is a guy that I don't believe has any Texans clients, and we know how the Watson thing ended. He is representing C.J. Stroud. Um, you would like to think you could mend some things there, but um, I, I do think it's something just to monitor because it seems like there is a little chatter building on the Texans not taking a QB. Some of that might be it's April 11th. We've beaten every other draft storyline into the ground, so here's another one that's a little fresh, but that'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, I I think that's where this draft goes like into crazy mode is if is if the Panthers take Bryce Young because everyone going back to the combine that was that's been the, the the belief is that the Texans see Bryce Young as as the guy in this draft and if they don't feel that way about someone else the Mulligetta thing is interesting too just because that's I mean he's he's got a lot of clients but he's gonna have a lot more clients. And if that's if that's really a hard and fast no going going forward for the Texans, like I both understand to some degree why you would feel that way, but also, man, are you hamstringing yourself? Sure. Uh, if you're not ever going to have those clients, because he's got a ton. By the way, I wanted to Joel A. Erickson's our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline. I wanted to clarify this for those listening uh, who may not, because I think we we're assuming that everyone would know what it means. So for either one of you guys, let me give you my interpretation. You tell me if it's the accurate means of it. When you were talking about how the Colts had a local pro day, that simply means a a showcase or a workout that by NFL designs is open for collegiate players that play within a certain parameter of the NFL franchise or players who played from a high school level and were are native to that exact same satellite area of the respective city. In this case, obviously, Indianapolis, meaning Indiana-Purdue players or players that played elsewhere collegiately but were centered in Indianapolis before that. Correct, yeah. yeah. And, and every team has that, right? Yeah, and there's a general radius, as Joel was saying, um, that you draw around your... I think it's your team complex, and I mean, understandably, I I know the Colts have been very upset by this NFL rule and the disadvantage it creates for other teams. I mean, that does seem like, to 
to Joel's credit, like or you know, to your point, Joel, like New Orleans, like okay, yeah, sure, great. Um, yeah, you know. Or but anyway, floor, I mean, like Miami, Miami, like there's that's such a recruiting hotbed. I mean, like, how about the Falcons? How about the LA schools? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The LA anybody teams. who's in a recruiting hotbed, like you just get to bring in everybody from the from from those uh, from those areas. That's that's pretty big advantage. I mean, Carolina, yeah, you're getting like, right. I mean, all those guys that, out of North Carolina and Clemson. And Hey, Joel, um, I want to go back to the point you were making about kind of the topsy-turvy nature of, you know, Young and Stroud and the, the, the fluctuation at number one and possibly Texans not taking at number two. Maybe this is me grasping at straws, but are we starting to see more evidence that, in fact, as they get more and more run through the ringer, that teams are wondering whether or not there are four franchise quarterbacks in this draft. That's a good question. I've, I, I kind of spent some time yesterday and today reading around like what people are thinking. And, and we're, we're really in this part of the draft cycle where I, I don't know kind of what KB was saying earlier. Like, have we just talked about the draft so much that we have to talk ourselves into something else or is, or is some of this real, you know, um, like I keep thinking about like the Justin Fields draft when, you know, when the draft cycle started, it was it was Lawrence and Fields and Lawrence and Fields, and by the time it was done, you know, he was go- he was like it was it was Fields might be on the outs in terms of the, the the top top picks, and that actually turned out to be true. But I know there's also been stuff that's gone the other way, or you know, the Jordan Love situation is another one like that one. If you remember that draft cycle, everyone was talking about Love as like. Is someone in the top ten going to take him? Is somebody in the top fifteen going to take him? And they didn't get taken until the twenty sixth pick, something like that. Um, and so it's it's so hard to tell at this point in the draft cycle if what you're reading is real, not real. It's just it's it's just really hard to tell because you know there's there's obvious attention on the quarterbacks for a, for a very good reason, but it makes it it makes it so that you get guys who are pumped up. We, the same thing happened last year. We, at this time last year, we were talking about like, okay, there's probably not going to be as many quarterbacks in the first round, but there's definitely going to be two. Right. And then after Kenny Pickett came off the board very late in the first round, uh, no one came off the board again until the third round. So there's, there's also that chance too, that we're talking about all this and the rest of the league is going, oh, we don't like these guys as much as you do. I, I don't think that's the case here, but it, there, there are some surprises with the with the quarterbacks, just about every draft cycle, and I think a lot of it has to do with how much attention there is on it, and how much that drives conversation. I think we saw that with Desmond Ritter a little bit last year, but certainly we saw it with Malik Willis and um, how far he fell as well. Again, Joel Erickson is with us here from the Indianapolis Star. Joel, this is not the most sound logic by any means, so I'll, I'll preface it with that. But if the Colts start like Gardner Minshew for 17 games next year, I, it, to me, they're going to win six-ish, seven games, something like that. They aren't going to be drafting necessarily in the top five. So part of me thinks, like, take a swing at quarterback. If it doesn't work out, and again, assuming you start that quarterback, then boom, you're drafting really high next year, and it's not like you've mortgaged your franchise a ton. Yeah, I mean, you've spent a high draft pick and it didn't work out, but you haven't put you know money into that guy. You haven't put you know five draft picks into that guy. It, should that be any sort of logic a team should have 
specifically the Colts, instead of like, yeah, we're not going to take one, we're going to start Minshew, but then all of a sudden we're going to be back here in 2024 and we're not going to have the pick that's as high as it maybe could be. That's that's that, that's an interesting point. Um, I think I think the part of it that I, that I I think is probably true is, um, you know, if you're an NFL team and you pick the quarterback in the first round, uh, you shouldn't necessarily be tied to that person if you don't believe in them and somebody else comes along next year. Just keep taking them. You know, <laughs> um, if you don't have a quarterback, you might as well just keep taking them and. Now I, I think I do think you need to give these guys give these guys some time, but there's also some situations like Josh Rosen is probably the most obvious example where they draft a guy really high and they pretty quickly are like, wait, this isn't going to work. Um, and and if you if you're in that situation, like you shouldn't you shouldn't double down on the quarterback just because you drafted him high. Like you said, I mean it's a it's a high draft pick that's wasted, but you know you you have a chance to make up for it and. If you if you make up for it, all you've all you've lost is one year as opposed to three. I think that's one of the things that's the most interesting thing to me to see. Like the way people have been talking about this pick is they're like, well, if they trade up and they don't draft it, they've wasted the next three years. Or if they, you know, they, they if if they like that's true no matter what they do at quarterback. If if you don't, unless you're taking one next year, whoever they pick, if they if they miss on this you've cost yourself the next however many years of, of franchise building because Jim Mercer was saying this out at the owners meetings two weeks ago. Just once, once you're on this highway, there's not, there, does, there don't appear to be a lot of exit ramps for a while outside of the scenario you're describing where, you know, you end up in the Cardinal situation. You have another high pick the next year in the right quarterback draft. You know, when I look Joel at the Colts roster and, and the more I think about this, I know you got to have a quarterback. I get it. But, you know, Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, certainly Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, for sure. One thing all those guys have are playmakers. They have guys that if they get them the football, they can turn it into additional yardage in space, and they can be a threat, and defenses are scrambling as to what to do there. Colts don't have it. I mean, I know Jonathan Taylor out of the backfield is one, but in terms of open space receivers, I think Pittman's a nice player, but he's not an open space speed threat, at least in my opinion. How deep do you have to go in the draft in, in, before you, when you say to yourself, now we can't get that? In other words, can you get a guy like that in round two, three, four, or do they have to wait another year if they're using the high pick on – let's say, a quarterback and then a corner. You're talking about the yards after the catch guy? Yeah, I'm talking about open space, dynamic, stretch guys. Um, you can definitely get those guys in the second round, for sure. I mean, Debo was a second-round pick. Uh, a bunch of those, Cooper Cup was a second-round pick. Yeah, uh, E.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf. Yeah, this draft, though, is interesting because this is the first time in like the last, basically in the entire time I've been covering the NFL, which is which is close to a decade now. This is the first time that people are like this draft class uh, at wide receiver is not deep and not not uh, as good. There's there's playmakers at tight end. I don't know if you're the Colts though. Um, I guess you could. I mean, you could definitely double down with Jelani Woods if you felt like you had another tight end prospect there and just went heavy on tight end. 
But Jelani, having Jelani Woods and some of the stuff we saw from him last year, like I think that he's one of those guys who maybe could be, maybe maybe not necessarily the run after the catch guy, but there were times last year that you're like, man, if they could just harness all all that and do that, you know what? Uh, I can't remember who the who were they playing when he had eight catches or whatever. Like that that year that that game, you're like, man, if they could maybe. Do this every week. Yeah. If if if, he, if they can do that every week, like that, that's a guy who might be able to be the kind of next level playmaker you're looking for. Now you could double down on tight end. The more I I said that at the top, I started saying you, you wouldn't necessarily want to do that, but you could. I mean, we've seen teams do that before. Um, and tight end is kind of the position in this draft that people think is really really good. Is is the position that is super deep in the in the weapons department as opposed to wide receiver, which it normally is. Yeah, to that point, I, I will be not mad at all if they take a pass catcher very early, but I would side with the probably receiver over tight end, which I know doesn't match up necessarily with the draft depth um, in this class. Like you said, Joel, it sounds like tight end over wide out here in 2023. All right, last one for me, Joel. This time last year, you were in the midst of reporting a Kenny Moore contract dispute. Um, any news on that end slash anybody you're watching contractually this offseason I, I'll throw out Michael Pittman more to do with if and when he'll get a contract extension heading into the final year of his rookie deal but anything on the Kenny Moore front and anything that you're watching besides that nothing nothing on the Kenny Moore front I I, I don't I don't necessarily foresee anything like that it's harder to after the season the Colts have you have guys you don't necessarily have as many guys who feel like they're in that position of strength to do that Sure. Pittman is obviously Pittman is obviously one. Taylor is the other one. Um, and Taylor's contract is going to be so interesting because of the way running back contracts have gone. Um, those are the two that I'm I'm watching. But they also have the Colts have also in the past with those guys kind of said let's wait until the summer's over. You know we've seen those deals in training camp the last couple of years, and so I wonder if that's what we're going to see is is you know in training camp. Pittman is interesting just because wide receivers are getting paid so much. Jake kind of alluded to this already, but, you know, there's there's some question, I think, of, of you know, what level to, to what level do you pay him, that kind of thing. That one's going to be very interesting to hear what he has to say on it, what the Colts have to say on it. But they typically haven't really gotten into this in depth until they get to training camp. Like, I think Pittman's a good player, Joel. I do. But I think Pittman, on the offenses that we see that are winning a lot of NFL games, he's a two or three, right? I mean, he's a very reliable over-the-middle possession receiver, and he does make plays for them, no doubt about it. But I just feel like a true number one is the guy that gets behind a defense and can and scares the hell out of people with big chunk plays at any I, possible moment. I I don't think, okay, this is going to be a hard thing to, I don't necessarily think, I, I agree that that's, that's the ideal, is the guy who can get the, behind the defense. I don't necessarily think, though, that you have to have, that you can't get that out of some of these guys who don't necessarily have, like, the top throttle gear, if, if, you, if you're using them correctly and they get to the right level. Like, Cooper Cup is a good example of somebody who, like, what he did in that Rams year 
there was a lot of chunk plays and everything like that. I, I don't necessarily think you think of him in the same way you think of, of Jamar Chase, but he had that kind of season. Michael Thomas in New Orleans before he was injured had that kind of impact if it wasn't down the field. He had that number one wide receiver impact if it wasn't down the field. I think it's I think it's harder, um, and and it's it's really hard to find the guy who can do all of it. And I think that that's probably the thing we haven't seen yet is. Like Alec Pierce, we know he can go deep. Like, do we do we know he can create after the catch? Do we know he can have the volume that you need from that receiver? Pittman, the question is obviously because Pittman Pittman is better after the catch when he's got space than I think we remember. Yeah, I'd agree. It's just that they haven't. They just haven't had that. I mean, last year's passing offense was such a disaster that it's hard to take anything. That's fair. Like, I mean, it has he's been had probably pretty bad quarterback play. Yeah. I mean, Philip Rivers, the obviously, Phillip and Rivers then... Season, the Philip Rivers season, a lot of the stuff that Pittman did were these little crossing routes that he turned into a big game. Yeah. You know? That's fair. He runs like a freight train in the open field. It's just give him more opportunities in the open and, field. And that's, 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 maybe, that's maybe the hardest thing with Michael Pittman Jr. right now is, like, is what we've seen from him all of what he's capable of or is he capable of a lot more and it's everything that they've had going on at quarterback and the passing offense the last two seasons is that keeping us from seeing more from him now i will say i felt like last year he had a lot of missed opportunities in big moments i think he would probably say that too and you want to see that from him but i i keep thinking back to that some of that stuff we saw run after the catch wise as a rookie and thinking if they get the right offense together, and, and who knows, they, they might not do if they're, if they're getting a young quarterback, who knows if they're going to have that this year, and then you have a really hard decision going into his, his contract year. But, you know, how much, with, with Michael Pittman, to me, that's the question. Is, is it that Michael Pittman has this ceiling, or is it that the offense has held him back? I think also you got to point out, and I know this isn't necessarily a ringing endorsement for Pittman necessarily, but so much of your roster moves here moving forward needs to be about supporting this young QB. And if you just let a guy like Pittman walk, what is that wide receiver room and trying to support him? Because right now, Alec Pierce, you know, I think it's fair to say early on, but you know, more of a one one trick pony type of guy. Um, rounding out his, you know, route tree and everything would be well, especially very and especially you wonder, especially with you wonder if. If what we saw from the free agent class this year with wide receiver, if that's the way this is going to go, if it's going to start being more and more of teams keeping their own guides and you're going to have more and more of these bad free agent, that was a bad wide receiver free agent class. I, I was, someone was asking me like, why haven't the Colts invested more there? And I was like, who, who was the guy you wanted? Um, you know, there, there were some guys that, that I think are helpful on like a, you know, more of the level of, of the, where people think that, you know, Pittman is and that kind of thing. But I don't know that they're like, who was the, who was the big time guy that Jake's talking about that was available in the free agent market? There, there wasn't one, you know, and are we going to see more of these free agent classes? So if you go to your point, KB, if you lose a guy who's productive, who a quarterback can, can depend on, can you fill that with a veteran or are you drafting somebody? And then, the, then for the quarterback, it's, he has to bring along another young guy. It, there, there's some complexity there that I think we don't know and need to find out about what's going to happen with wide receivers going forward because this this free agent class in general for all positions, but especially at wide receiver, made me wonder if we're going to start seeing a seat change there where it's, you can't get those types of guys 
on the open market anymore. Joel, great stuff. We'll uh, see you out there tomorrow for uh, Shane Steichen and company. Yep, sounds good. It's Joel A. Erickson right there on the Payless Slickers Hotline. We are way over. Uh, Kevin Aquari on a beautiful Tuesday. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Mark Dykton getting a little love on his musical selection this morning, right? I feel like uh, that's pretty consistent, Mark. You've created a nice brand with that. Yeah. People seem to like it, so I guess I'll keep doing it. It is another windows down day here in Indianapolis, and you could probably do that pretty early on in what is a glorious Tuesday. We began it with Aaliyah Boston, the number one pick for the Indiana Fever. If you missed that, we'll replay it here coming up to close out the show. Um, and then she went on Good Morning America. <laughs> like she said at one point. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the green room or, or what? Yeah, oh, okay. Well, you know, not to um, disparage the guests that JMV's having on later today, but do you think that is like going from David Carr to Peyton Manning? Yeah, to say the least. Uh, we would be David Carr in that sense. I think we've just been <laughs> sacked again by Dwight Freeney. That's the thing. David Carr you feel for. And I guess actually there's probably a lesson for that in the with the Colts. Of course, we've seen it maybe with Andrew Luck, you could say. But I just felt like David Carr was never really given a fair shot, right? I mean, it was really hard for him to be totally assessed as a player. Pretty dark moments for the Texans franchise there early on uh we talked about this a little bit earlier i wanted to get back into it jake again i am a you know after notre dame basketball fandom comes notre dame football fandom and so i've certainly seen days where on social media it acts like notre dame just won their first national title since 1989 when a recruit commits manti teo probably being atop that list um, I must say, when I scrolled through social media last night, Jake, I thought all of a sudden Banner 6 is being raised inside of Assembly Hall on the announcement of a player that averaged six points and four rebounds last year for a team that played in the NIT, a player that got benched pretty much, if you just read Dana Altman's comments, due to a lack of intensity or a lack of effort. Um, I think something you typically like to see out of a freshman in college is maybe their play to ascend a little bit as the year moves along, see some growth, see some maturity, et cetera, et cetera. It looks like the opposite happened. I don't think Khalil Ware played a single game of more than 20 minutes once the calendar turned to 2023. I understand IU's thinking a bit in this, but I was a bit stunned to see just the jump and show Walter Fountain type of reaction to a guy that again averaged six and four for an nit team and got benched because he didn't have good effort uh, are you new around here <laughs> that's, that's, that's probably fair I, I i just thought it was like it was extra am i am i wrong i i thought it was even more than what is usual i get the transfer portal needs to be tapped into i fully understand iu's thought process and bringing in a former five-star recruit all of those things but boy, there's going to have to be a big-time wake-up call, and Mike Woodson's got a 
hell of a developmental piece, it sounds like on and off the floor, that he's going to have to work with. Let's kick some ass. Uh, here's what, what on the phone to him. Well, he might need to kick his to get him. Here's you know, what Dana in. Altman said about Khalil where after a win against Utah earlier this year where uh, Ware did not see the floor for Oregon. It's for all of our team. You got to stay ready. My job is to evaluate and put the team that, as a coaching staff, we feel gives us the best opportunity to win and will play hard. Tonight, that was the group I went with. That can change Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday if guys get ready. But you still have to perform. You still have to play hard. Um, and then he went on to say... I'd say that's on the tamer end of some of his Ware quotes. He, he had some more aggressive We've ones. had a lot of conversations, Altman said, of Ware during a media availability. They haven't gone as well as, and they haven't been as constructed as we want them to be. I was disappointed in his effort. I let him know that. He's going to have to make some adjustments or I've got to make some decisions. His time has been reduced. That doesn't help us because he is a talented player. We'll just tell him daily uh, to get out there and we'll see what he's capable of. He's young, so he doesn't understand how hard you have to play at this level. He came from high school. Nobody's probably told him he has to play hard against people who are just going to compete. He's got to learn and take that day by day, listen to the older guys, and see what's out there for him. I think something you always hear from coaches, GMs, etc., and I remember Kevin Pritchard sharing us, or maybe it was Chad Buchanan at the Pacers golf outing, about Benedict Matherin. You'd rather have to rein him in than ask him to kind of speed it up. Right. And in Ware's case, again, for big guys, Ashaka Smart had a great quote earlier this year about Zach Eady. When a big guy plays with as much energy as Zach Eady plays with night in, night out, the team just feeds off that. Because typically big guys, you don't get that. Um, now, again, is this the wake-up call that Ware needed? You know, I, I know there's a coaching connection at Oregon that initially got him there. That coach left to become the head coach in Nebraska-Omaha, so maybe he didn't have that familiarity. He was a long way, way away from, ways away from home. Uh, he's an Arkansas native. Granted, I guess he'll still be a good ways away from home in Bloomington. Um, I think what you are intrigued by is this. Obviously, there is some talent. Um you know he's got some perimeter skill for a guy that stands seven foot. You, you can't teach that. His best moments his freshman year were against some pretty good teams. He played really well against UConn in November. He played well against Villanova and Michigan State. I know Nova had a, ba- a, a down year, but he played pretty good in a tournament earlier in the season. So I think that you like that. Um, but at the same time, boy. You know, when a coach is calling him out for effort and loses a starting job and he's on a bad basketball team, like they needed him. They could have used him. Uh, this is, uh, I, I was uh, just head scratching a little bit in how much the praise was there. It almost seemed like for a brief period there, Jake, like Indiana fans forgot what Trace Jackson Davis meant to them. And, and what, do we forget what Trace did as a freshman? I mean, Trace averaged what thirteen and eight as a freshman right. on, on a team that would have made the tournament had the COVID year not occurred. This is a guy that averaged six and three on an NIT team, six and four. Kevin, I realize and I apologize to people that I am naturally cynical, but oftentimes cynicism is rooted in reality or experience or precedent. When I was a kid, I was a diehard, diehard, diehard IU basketball fan. And Bob Knight fan, and I mean, I was a zealot. 
people that grew up in Washington Township in the middle to late 80s, a lot of them didn't like Indiana because of me. I was that kid. And I will never forget cutting out and putting in a little scrapbook the picture of Delray Brooks out of Sports Illustrated in the college basketball issue of 1980, the 84-85 season. Because Indiana had come off of an Elite Eight run and now they were adding to Steve Alford in the backcourt the number one guard in America, the McDonald's All-American, 37 a game, co-mister basketball, Delray Brooks of Michigan City Rogers. And Delray Brooks couldn't play. I mean, he was okay. He went to Providence and, and kind of redeemed himself a little bit but but in indiana it was one of the themes of a season on the break couldn't play and then a season on the break talked about damon bailey being better as a seventh grader than indiana's current guards and i then watched each and every year and i i mean you name a year of the late 80s early 90s i can tell you the entire recruiting class for indiana Ricky Callaway in '86 loved him. I thought he was a great player. Didn't finish in Indiana. Had to, tra- you know, ended up transferring. Jay Edwards and Lyndon Jones. Jay Edwards for two years gone. Lyndon J- and it was, and I love Jay Edwards. Lyndon Jones couldn't play without Jay Edwards there. I mean, he could, but wasn't great. That that great recruiting class they had that w- was phenomenal. Chris Reynolds, Chris Lawson, Pat Graham, Greg Graham, Calbert Chaney, Lawrence Funderburk, Todd Leary. Lawrence Funderburg was the highest touted of all of them. He left. Calvert Chaney was the least heralded of all of them. He's the leading scorer in Big Ten history. Andre Patterson was the next great thing. He and Charlie Miller were going to come and bring Indiana back to prominence. Jason Collier was going to be the next best thing. Luke Recker was, was going to carry them to prominence. My point being, recruiting and players and rosters is an inexact science. And some of the best players that Indiana's ever had in the history of that program were guys that weren't huge names coming in. And some of the biggest names ever coming in were guys that didn't last two years. It's an inexact science, Kevin, and you've got to let it play out on the court. You just do. I get it. You're better off with the law of averages of getting a five-star than getting a no-star. Right. I get it. But And I've said it before about the Colts, Jake. Kick tires on former first-round picks. Yeah. You know, Eric Ebron worked out here. It wasn't for too long. Kick tires, sure, but 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 I think there are too many people when it comes to Indiana basketball that think that you kick the tires on an Acura and all of a sudden it transforms into a Ferrari. And you know, part of this is just life in the portal. Yeah, you, oh, you, I, I get it. You know, I, I totally get it. That's so, where we are now. I get it. Again, I can fully acknowledge. I understand what Indiana is thinking here. I was just a little surprised about how big the reaction was. I, what Indiana fans need to remind themselves, Kevin, is while they're doing backflips over Khalil Weir coming here and the one guy smoking cigars online and talking about how wonderful it is and they're doing backflips and whatever else, what they need to remind themselves is that there is a program somewhere that's doing the same thing for Jordan Geronimo. Right? It's all relative. I mean, Mike Woodson's development with Jalen Huchifino, and I should say the entire staff, was really, really impressive. You also had a guy in Huchifino that, by all accounts, you didn't have to worry about off the floor. You didn't have to worry about from an intensity and an effort standpoint. So with a guy like Ware, you're bringing him into a new environment. First, you've got to get him mentally ready. And then on the floor, there obviously will be a, a fit question of, okay, it'll look different certainly than Trace Jackson Davis. Honestly, Malik Renew is probably more of your back-to-the-basket Trace Jackson Davis guy where seems to be a little bit more of a 
I want to play on the perimeter, you know, maybe even in the pick and roll game with Xavier Johnson. Have we got an official word on Xavier Johnson, by the way? That medical hardship, medical waiver? No, I, I think it was a, just kind of an accepted that he was going to be back, right? Yeah, but, I wasn't sure if there was anything by the way, official on that. Khalil Ware has a – so I, I read you those comments from Dane Altman, uh-huh. right? Khalil Ware's arm, he has a huge tattoo that says, Humble Beast. You know, I don't have a tattoo, but if I get one, I think I'm going to get Humble Beast on my arm. Would you say the beast in Beauty and the Beast was humble? <laughs> I don't know. I Here's thought he, I heard he was a pretty shy kid. I, I don't. I don't want to list myself as a beast by any stretch. But humble. Oh, I wouldn't list humble either. Excuse me. What? <laughs> what? What are you talking? Humble about? would be in the lower back region. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. There. Yeah. Oh, you want me to get a tramp stamp that says humble? That's cool. I'm just telling you. Like, your back's had enough issues. <laughs> Nothing needs a tattoo. <laughs> that was a great line, Mark. <laughs> Thanks. I'm just telling you, humble beast. Uh, the other rumored kind of names affiliated with IU transfer portal, uh, one is a kid from Harvard, and the other is a Northern Colorado product. That would be quite the wild foursome to bring in from a transfer portal standpoint. A Ball State kid, a Harvard kid. Well, Ball State, the Harvard of the Midwest. A Northern Colorado product and a five-star Arkansas native that went to Oregon. <laughs> uh-huh. Like, could you get in more different spots of the country, levels of competition, academic backgrounds? Well, and that's, I think... Again, this is life in the portal. Like, I'm not acting like this is something that it was unexpected. We talked about it all year long. I mentioned it after the Miami game. 61 of 69 points out the door. Indiana's got to hammer the portal. It is just, it's wild to think of how different these pieces are going to look. And Mike Woodson's NBA background is going to have to come into play here and put them together. The, the other thing that, that is going to be tough about the transfer portal, and again, I, I, I want to make very clear here. I went to three different universities by the time I was 20. So it is absolutely hypocritical for me to condemn or damn any of these young players or students when it when a when a student i mean hell half of my high school class went to different schools and then transferred back to indiana or ball state or purdue just to be closer to home or family dynamics or money or whatever and nobody thinks twice about it a student athlete does it and it's oh this guy's selfish and it's it's all part of the process of growing up And, and i'm all for all of that but one of the challenges that the transfer portal presents is for coaches, Kevin, at mid to lower tier schools and programs, Towson State, um, Southern Indiana, you know, smaller programs, smaller schools. Because if you get a kid that's a late bloomer that averages 17 and a half points per game at Pendleton Heights High School, and he had his eyes set on going to Ball State or Indiana, and he Kellen got Dunham? overlooked. Yeah, Kellen Dunham was a nice player, right? But and he went to Butler. But like a guy that that gets overlooked, slips through the cracks. So he signs with, I, I don't know. I mean, Bellerman. And then he has a great freshman year and averages sixteen and a half points per game, and now all of a sudden is on the radar. And Bellerman's like, we got ourselves a really good player here until. 
all of a sudden Rick Barnes at Tennessee comes over and says, you know what, you, we, we, we aired there. Would you like to come play at Tennessee? And now the kid says, I got what I needed out of Bellarmine. Boom. It's going to be hard. The, the, the NCAA tournament, the, the irony being that this year you saw teams like Florida Atlantic or, you know, I'm trying to think of some of the other schools that you saw making waves in the NCAA tournament partially because of the portal. But what's ultimately, I think, going to balance out is a lot of the teams that used to be those that were making noise in the NCAA tournament as smaller schools were doing it because they had senior-laden, four-year-together program kids that were playing against the Blue Bloods of a Kentucky or a Kansas or North Carolina and and wreaking havoc in the first round because, man, these four guys have been these five guys have been playing together for four years that now is also going to be watered down and it's to me that's disappointing but i get it i totally understand i mean kevin do you realize that like my college experience here i'm going to end up with credits from i gotta think i i think four or five schools i mean you want to talk about a potpourri degree so I, who am I to say that the that, that that I have a problem with kids transferring? Something I would like to see though is just you can get the one time transfer, but then after that you need to sit out. Well, I I mean that's fair. And I know people will show me head coaches that have moved on in a four year cycle to three different schools, and, and, and so I know that you know my theory there doesn't necessarily hold up against that. But I would like to see a little bit of structure around that. To the mid-major point, you could probably look at it one of two ways. To your point, Jake, you can look at it certainly in a glass half-empty view from Michael Lewis or you know Matt Crenshaw or whoever. Of you know, you have a young guy in your program that averages a dozen, averages fourteen a game. He's all conference as a freshman or sophomore. Boom, he transfers up. Peyton Sparks from Ball State to Indiana. The flip side is, do the Ball States benefit from a? Tamar Bates, Jordan Geronimo, Brandon Newman, whoever, that is at the big school, doesn't find a role there, Fair. and then he goes to yeah, the mid-major. Good point. It, it might look a little different for the mid-majors. I tend to side a little bit more with you, Jake, in that it's going to hurt the three- and four-year continuity more than they'll get the guys that came from the Power Fives down to that level. But I think that is one the- bit of... and. and I know this is not the exact same because these schools play in conferences that I think are both viewed in the same light, but look back at this year in the tournament. Providence's best player was a highly rated recruit at Kentucky that didn't make it at Kentucky, and so then he went to Providence, became their leading scorer, and boom, they match up in the tournament against each other. Right. Like, will we start to see some of those matchups where, you know, you do have a Tamar Bates ending up somewhere, and then all of a sudden he's averaging 15 a game at... I think that Sunbelt School. I think the other thing that comes into play with the portal, and I am the first to admit, I would have absolutely probably fallen victim to this as a young person. When kids now are recruited, especially top tier talent, you know, a lot of times, Kevin, they're like, they kind of stave the recruiting process or whatever else. And then they see their teammates in AAU or their teammates in high school or their teammates once they get to college that went through the process and had the Instagram post. And, you know, here's my – I mean, it's hilarious to me that 
like I'll see some kid that posts something, it'll get retweeted on my timeline. A kid that's a high school junior basketball player, and he says, my top 15, top 15. Like when I had to send my SAT scores to universities when I was at North Central High School, I sent them to five universities, I think was the max, and one of them I put in the wrong code and started getting all kinds of letters from Northeast Arizona University of the Navajo. Oh. And I had to tell them like, yeah. Aren't I they good to, at cross country or I'm, is that northern? I meant to send that. Arizona. Northern is, yeah, that's right. That was in Flagstaff. I'm like, I meant to send that to Arizona. My apologies. You didn't do but a like, campus visit at least? <laughs> I didn't do a campus yeah. visit either. I felt bad telling them because they were really Half excited. on campus, half of the Grand Canyon. But the I think that so these kids put out these huge lists because they want the attention of the fan base and you know show me some love okay I'm going to be in Alabama tomorrow Tide Nation where are you show me the love and then the cap dance and everything else and once that the dust settles on that and then they go to college and reality kicks in and the recruiting trips are over with and you get down to business I think quite frankly that attention that love I think it's intoxicating to players I think they fall in love with it I think they miss it I think they long for it and if they didn't go through it the first time or get it because they weren't as big a recruit then they want it a second time yeah, and what point. better way to do it than to go into the portal and 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 all of these iu fans eat it lock stock and barrel and fall for it and start and, and if you are over the age of 25 and you're sending messages to 17 year old kids begging and pleading for them to go to a university that you sp- spend your send your hard-earned money towards then that's a whole different talk show man I'm proud to say I've never done that. Now, 16-year-old me, maybe. 25-year-old me, though, sign of maturity. I'm still imagining the humble beast tattoo on Jake, Mark. <laughs> Somebody suggested you just get the IMS logo tattooed somewhere. I was like, just get the whole track. Do it around your belly and your back. Just have it loop around. I see people that sometimes shave yeah. like IMS into their chest hair. Mm-hmm. Now, I did shave the Superman logo into my chest in college before an intramural game, and then we had to play shirt skins, and it was humiliating. Mm. Yeah, I had a mohawk on Can't a couple Can't imagine why that would be humiliating. <laughs> Couldn't part, fathom. Part, well, because I'm humble. Mm-hmm. Did the whole That's mohawk thing a few times in college. You did? Didn't, didn't end well. Did you see the picture of the guy that I ran into at... Uh, what's the name of the place I told you I went uh, to? The- Kuma's Corner. Kuma's Corner. The guy yeah, with the that mohawk. Was, that looked like it could slice bread. Uh, Unbelievable. This guy, we were at dinner, and this guy walked in with his mohawk. I, Shannon's chin hit the floor, and I'm like, and then I looked. It was impressive. It looked like an exhibit at the zoo. Said it takes him 30 minutes and a half a can of hairspray a night. I don't know how he gets in a car. So you asked him the Brian Austin Green question. Clearly drives a convertible. I did. He should have an NIL deal with a hairspray. No doubt. With that effort. I don't think I saw that photo. Uh, that that Boston, guy didn't have an aqua net. He's got the entire web. We are going to replay <laughs> the Aaliyah awesome. Boston interview coming up in about 20. Let's lead off the morning checkdown with the other notable draft pick by the Fever last night. The morning checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Jake, it was kind of funny when we had Linda on, on this time yesterday. I thought to myself, yeah, I'm going to ask her about Grace Berger. I, I don't know if she'll say anything of note, but... All of a sudden, the answer got over with, and I'm like, oh my gosh, she's going to draft Grace Berger. Uh, In case you missed it, that was the seventh pick for the Fever last night. Here was Lynn Dunn about 24 hours ago on the Indiana Star. I thought she had a great season, and we mentioned versatility and positionless potential. Uh, The great thing about Grace is she can play the one, the two, and the three. She's six foot, she's big, she's strong. 
she's physical, and uh, that's a big adjustment when you go to the next level, the physicality of the league. Everything's faster and everything's more physical. And and she she is a great leader. She's a floor leader. She, you know, she leads on the court and she leads off the court. A lot of positives. And Aaliyah Boston and her played on the FIBA America Cup team that won a gold medal uh, in Puerto Rico last year. I want to have a PBR with Lynn Dunn. Oh I love her energy. If Micah Shrewsbury doesn't work out, we need to hire Lynn Dunn in South Bend. <laughs> I mean, I she'd be fun to just have on, like just come in here and hang out. And how about her energy at what? I mean, she's got to be in her 70s, correct? I thought you were going to say at like 7 in the morning. That too, right? Well, that as well. 75 for Lynn Dunn. God you know, I haven't her. been up before 8 in like since high school. Before yeah. the show started, correct? Well, Someone I mean, say he's not awake. Mm-hmm. I was going to say. Right. right about now is when I start hitting my stride. Uh, last night in Major League Baseball, you had the individual highlight was Andrew Henney. He struck out nine straight batters against the Royals. That ties... Uh, an AL record for the most consecutive strikeouts in a game. And how about the Tampa Bay Rays? I saw a picture, by the way, yesterday of the throwback Rays unis. Have you guys seen those? Oh, those are awesome. They are pretty sweet. They are 10-0. and 0. Throwback? They've only been around for like 20 years, right? I know, but we're talking like 98 Rays. Like Devil Rays. Yeah. So it's got the actual Ray on it, right? And, and you know, the variance colors. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's really, really cool. Uh, yesterday was their first game this season. It's been decided by less than four runs. They had won their first nine all by at least four. They win a duel yesterday on the mound. That's a 1-0 win for Tampa Bay. It is the best start since 1987 for a Major League Baseball team at 10-0. I've always wondered this, and I've asked it on the radio many times, but but the Bay is the water. Tampa is the city. Why do their sports teams called the Tampa Bay Rays and the Tampa Bay Bucks? They're, it's Tampa. Scotty's right? saying because they're in St. Pete. Well, the Bucks aren't. Now, it is true that the, the, I've always found this interesting, too. The Tampa Rays play in St. Pete, but the Tampa Lightning play in the St. Pete Forum in Tampa, right? Well, it's the Amelie Arena now. What's that? Amelie oh. Arena. Okay. Did the Trop get renamed as well? No. That's still the same. No, no, nobody wants naming rights of it. <laughs> well, they keep on I got putting $10. this up. They might do it. Uh, White Sox 4-3, Guardians 3-2 over the Yankees. Reds losing extras. Cubs won in extras, right, Mark? Yep. Bunch mm-hmm. of walk-off. One-run games here uh, locally. The Cardinals 3-7 and seven to start the year. No, oh, weep- it's a bummer. No weeping for me on that. But here's the thing. It's no the baseball. smartest 3-7 and seven mm-hmm. in the history of baseball. They're going to turn their corner. They know baseball. That's right. Uh, we got both the home teams winning tonight in the NBA. Give me the two matchups again. Play-in games, right? Heat and Hawks. Lakers and Timberwolves. Uh, Lakers, Lakers Lakers, will win, and I'll take Miami. Same. Lakers and Heat. Miami favored by five and a half. Again, the winner gets locked into the 2-7 matchup. The loser will have another game later this week to try and keep their season alive. All right, it is time for the pop quiz before we get to Leah Boston. So 317-239-1070. Scotty, the difficulty today? About a six. He says a six on a scale of one to ten. I'm scrolling through the answers. I think three is absolutely impossible. I would say four is as well. And five is just, five is pretty stupid. <laughs> okay. It's I, a five is a humble beast. I like one and two, three, four, and five. No chance. Five is just stupid. Am okay. I wrong? Well, let me look. I'm pulling it up right now. Three one. 
Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. 7239-1070. Yeah, come on, it's stupid. Have you studied? Can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the pop quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. By the way, this from John on Twitter, which is, he's got a couple of numbers in his name. Joined Twitter apparently a couple weeks ago. No followers following two people. Uh, Jake Quarry just compared Khalil Ware to Jordan Geronimo. He should definitely be followed for his vast knowledge of basketball. Also, apparently you're a loser if you follow college recruiting. However, if you make a career out of talking about players and making fun of their tattoos, you must be cool. Yeah, I mean, I am cool. Uh, Ray and Indy, which I think is John's burner account. Uh, Jake, you thought Daniel Tice was the answer to the Pacers' problems off the bench. I'll take Woodson's take on ball over yours. Okay. Did I say Daniel Tice was their answer off the bench? Kind of forgot. I'll be totally honest. Kind of forgot about Daniel Tice. Yeah, I remember saying that. Well, I mean, I, I I was saying that the Pacers had told me that they felt like what they needed was a guy that was a dog that would just like a dirty work player, and then I thought Daniel Tice could be that guy. I did say that, so I apologize for reporting actually directly what the administrative executives of the Pacers told me. How dare you? Better chance Chris Duarte or Daniel Tice is on the roster that come this fall. Boy. Probably Duarte because if they can't move him, there is still some value of him. But I, yeah, contractually, it's a little bit more manageable. Tice making a little bit more money. Yeah, boy, I I know we'll get more into Pacers draft talk here in the next few weeks. I think that pick has got to be so defensive minded, which is not what I said yeah, this time wing, last wing year. Wing defender, right? Wing yeah. four. I think it's got to be. I want to hear defense first before I hear offense with that selection. All right, it is time for the pop quiz. Again, Leah Boston, if you missed that, the number one pick for the Fever. Replay that here coming up in a few. Uh, Jacob, number one through eight. Uh, we will go with there are two games tonight in the NBA, so we will go with two. Numero dos, Mark Dykton. Steve. Steve! What's up? Steve, how you doing? Not too bad. How about you? Steve, I'm doing great. Um, Steve, your favorite athlete of all time? Brett Favre. Brett Favre Jet, Brett Favre Viking. What's Brett Favre doing here? Brett Favre Packer. Just, just Brett Favre in general. Steve, let me I'm tell Brett you what. Packer. Uh, have you called the program before, Steve? No. Okay. Let me tell you what I'm envisioning. Just And I'm I'm not trying to be a voicist, but by listening to your voice, what you sound like to me, okay? Um, okay. I'm guessing you are. You, you sound to me like a guy that's somewhere between 35 and 42 who's not opposed to cracking open a 16-ounce PBR tall boy while watching a game. You went to Decatur Central High School, and uh, you work in the area. Close. I'll be 35 this year. Went to Pendleton. And, uh, yeah, I love PBR. (laughs) Let's go Arabians. Um, What line of work are you in? Uh, Fuel truck driver. So would you have gone to school with the aforementioned Kellen Dunham, or would would he be right behind you? He's a lot older. Yeah, he would have been behind me. 
Okay. Pendleton's had a nice run there on the hardwood, even not just Dunham years, right? Yeah. They had a kid. What about this one? This is a little more um, esoteric, but they had a nice running back named Denny Kimmel. Would that be about your age? Doesn't sound familiar. No okay. idea. <laughs> Did you really go to Pendleton? No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, I think we, we played you guys. Were you a baseball player at all, Steve? I think uh, we played you guys in baseball, like regionals, maybe my senior year. You, you probably would have been a couple of years out of Pendleton. Yeah. No, I didn't play baseball. I did uh, one year of football and a couple of years of track. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. All right. Well, I appreciate you calling in today. Um, Jake, you want to lead it off? All right, here we go. Question number one for you, Steve. The NBA play-in tournament begins tonight. The Pacers played in the 2021 play-in. Who knocked them out of the play-in tournament two years ago? Was it the Charlotte Hornets, the Washington Wizards, the Atlanta Hawks, or the Brooklyn Nets? Let's go, Charlotte. Bradley Beal had a big one, if I remember correctly, in that one. No, then let's go, Wizards. You say Wizards, Steve? Yep. Okay. All right. Number two, Steve. The Fever selected Aaliyah Boston from South Carolina, the number one overall pick last night's WNBA draft. It's the first time the Fever had the number one overall pick. Their previous high was number two. Which of the following did not go to the Fever with the number two pick? A, Kelsey Mitchell. B, Tan White. C, Nalissa Smith. Or D, Tamika Ketchings. Let's go to Mika. She had okay. an injury, right? Is that why she fell yeah. to three? Is that correct? The issue. ACL? Uh, question number three for you, Steve. Jordan Walker of the St. Louis Cardinals has now hit safely in 10 straight games to begin his career. That sets a Cardinals franchise record. The major league record for that feat is 17 straight, set by the Reds, uh, the Reds, the Reds Chuckalino in 1941. Right That's kind of how we're playing. That's right. The record was tied in 2016. What major leaguer opened his career with a 17-game hitting streak? Tim Anderson, Tyler Naquin, David Dahl, or Corey Seager? Uh, let's do Seager. Steve, one time I got lost. I was probably only 16 or 17. Got lost driving, and next thing you know, I ended up in the Pendleton Penitentiary. <laughs> you guys ever do like field trips there back in the day? No. You've been to that little. Uh, You've been to that little park that has like the little waterfalls. Oh yeah, Falls Park. Yeah, Falls Park. Yeah. A little bit different atmosphere Free, there. Creative name, the by the way. I ran into. Uh, all right, number four here, Steve. On this day in 1989, uh, Philadelphia Flyers goalie Ron Hextall made history by becoming the first goalie to score a goal in an NHL game. Since then, only one other goalie has scored a goal in a playoff game. Who did it? A. Hextall. B, Chris Osgood, C, Martin Brodeur, or D, some dude I can't pronounce. Now, Steve, do you watch Seinfeld? A little bit. Okay, because this, this if you if you remember this scene, it will tell you this guy must have been super excited when this goalie accomplished this feat. Here we go. Well, you know, support the team. <laughs> well, you can't walk around like that. Well, why not? Because... It's insane. Okay. That's Putty who painted his face for what team whose goaltender accomplished that feat? Uh, the team was the Devils. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say Osgood. Oh, man. I, I don't really know hockey. The fact that you knew that... I think we give it to you based yeah. on that. You knew Putty was a Devils fan. If you get this one, Steve... 
We're number one. We beat anybody. We're the devil. <laughs> By the, the way, did they have a lot of meetings yeah. before they decided to name the park Falls Park? No idea. <laughs> uh, question number five. On this day in 1907, this piece of protective equipment was worn for the first time in Major League Baseball history. Was it a batting helmet, the catcher's shin guards, the chest protector, or the batting glove? It's an area that it it's sneaky really hurts if it gets hit. Shin. The shin guard. Okay. All right, Steve. Pretty good effort there on what I thought was pretty difficult pop quiz. Yeah, 142-115. The Wizards smoke. Yes! Uh, question number two, by the way. Tamika Catchings was the number correct. three overall pick in 2001. Uh, number three? Was that the one he missed? Yep. Uh, number three is what he missed. Yeah, yeah, David Dahl, not Corey Seager on that one. You blew it! Thank you, Steve. I guess he missed four, too. You don't get to come back yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, is don't even the New Jersey Devil. Did it against game. Montreal in 97, You're and the shin guards was correct loser. as well. Solid effort. Mark... <laughs> Mark, did I see um, we got prices for NFL Sunday ticket? Uh, I didn't see that. Looks like if you purchase before June 6th for NFL Sunday ticket, it's 249 bucks via YouTube TV. How much is it normally? For YouTube TV subscribers. So I guess 349 if you're a non-YouTube TV subscriber. That strikes me as a bit pricey. Two eighty nine if you bundle with Red Zone. For the if you already have a YouTube TV Correct. subscription, if you don't it's three eighty nine early without. What What are your initial thoughts on that? As someone that has a NFL team out of market, yeah, but bit pricey. I do have YouTube TV, so if I were to do it, I would do the early uh, early in price. Um, I don't have to favor that out, or you know. Price-wise for 17 games. 14 bucks a game Yeah, for your team, plus red zone. Mm-hmm. I guess it's not horrible when you I mean, put you got to figure it to go... Because what was it with, with DirecTV? Obviously, you'd have the service, but, but month... 49, what was it? Yeah, I don't think it was too different. Let, let me ask you this. If you go on a Sunday with friends to sit down... Yeah, you're going to spend at least have 15 a, bucks. Have a beer and whatever to watch a game... You're going to spend how much? What's your tab going to be? Yeah, I mean, probably, I don't know, 20 bucks. You have two drinks and a. Yeah, know, so let's say 25 bucks. or something like that. So if you do that, for how many games would you do it for your. If you were. And you go eight times, 10 times? I mean, boom, it's, it's even there, right? Right. And that's not obviously a 17 game schedule. Sure, you're going to have a couple on national TV, but. Uh, so yeah, those announcements coming. Uh, it looks like already not if you're, published. Not there. if you're a Bears fan, Kevin. <laughs> you're not going to have any on national. Everybody TV. gets the Amazon Thursday night. Jim right? McMahon against the Vikings is the last time that happened. Uh, all right, Aaliyah Boston. Uh, if you missed it, we'll replay that to close it out. And if you missed it early, life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. 
here, we caught up with the number one overall pick of the Indiana Fever. Um, she had an interview with Good Morning America later. What better way to prep her than come on with Kevin and yeah. Query? That was Aaliyah Boston and how she spent her Tuesday morning. A fantastic college career at the University of South Carolina and now already has begun this glorious day in Indianapolis with a welcome from Tyrese Halliburton at 5 o'clock in the morning and now joining us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. She is the number one overall selection in the 2023 WNBA Draft to the Indiana Fever and Aaliyah Boston joins us now to discuss exactly that. Aaliyah, let me be the first to say that welcome to Indianapolis and I think the city's going to be happy to have you. Thank you so much. I'm super excited. Now, are you half asleep? I would be half asleep because I would imagine, like, did you get any sleep at all? I mean, I'm, I think I got about two hours. <laughs> well, there's probably a little bit of extra spring in the step, but let's, I want to begin with this. Um, just your overall reaction. I think everyone knew you were going to be the number one player selected. Did you, you know, you you never, I guess, want to count the chickens before they hatch, but did you start to kind of look in even ahead of time about the Fever franchise, the city of Indianapolis, and what this all was going to mean in terms of you fitting in here? Yeah, I mean, I looked at it definitely ahead of time, but just like you said, I didn't want to get too excited. I just wanted to kind of do the wait, and even in the moment when they were calling my name, my heart was like racing. <laughs> but everybody says Indianapolis is very cool, so I'm like very excited. Ali, I know one of your former teammates plays for the Fever. Not sure how familiar you are with the city at all. Do you have any connections here? What do you, what do you know about Indy? You know, just with Henny, but I'm excited to have, uh, what is it, a fried, what do you guys do? Fried pork tenderloin. Oh, <laughs> oh yes. Yeah, look at, look at that. Boy. Okay. You got your talking points <laughs> down here. Thank you. Thank you. I worked hard on that one. <laughs> for those that did not watch a whole lot of South Carolina, and obviously it was a hell of a season for you guys, and you know, winning the Thank national you. title the year prior, and you know, national player of the year, the accolades speak for themselves. How would you describe your your, your style on the floor? Yeah, definitely physical post player. I think I do a great job of communicating, bringing energy all the time, but you know, being that inside presence. You do, know, do you know Grace? Hundred feet. Aaliyah, do you know Grace uh, Grace Berger at all? Of course. What do you think about her game, and uh, how well do you know her, I guess? Yeah, I mean, Grace and I played together on USA, so it's pretty exciting that we're going to be teammates um, again in this aspect, so I was really excited. But I was telling Grace that she's a mid-range bandit. Like, that's just <laughs> – she does that so well, and so I'm excited to be able to play with her and watch her do that again. It's now, amazing. Now, I don't want to totally give away your complete, like, you know, whereabouts right now, but <laughs> but now you're driving somewhere, clearly. Uh, yeah. Everything – can we help you find anywhere? No, well, right now, I'm going to Good Morning America. Oh, wow. Look at that. Okay. It's just a slight upgrade over our dog and pony (laughs) show here. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, good Lord. We aren't even the JV game. We're we're the freshman game, and Good Morning America will be varsity Don't mind us. Hey, I'm curious about this, Aaliyah. Um, The reality is this. You know, you lost, I think as a senior in high school, you lost a game, right? Mm-hmm. At the University yes. of South Carolina, I think you lost, what, a total of four games and f- five games maybe over the years? Yeah, I think I think so, something like that. So, but, I mean, it's kind of crazy. Right. So, and this is a good thing, obviously. You're used to winning. Yes. You're coming into a franchise where winning has been very rare. Mm-hmm. How do you adapt to that? You know, I just continue to do what I'm doing, what I've been doing, bring that type of energy, but... I mean, I think this year is going to be a winning year for the Fever. I just think we're going to do a really great job. We're going to everybody's going to mesh together, and I'm really excited for it. Your childhood, 
you moved, if I'm not mistaken, at a young age, um, yes. far away, you know, to Massachusetts. Yes, I, I believe U.S. Virgin Islands, is that correct? Yes, correct. And basketball, I'm sure, was a big part of that. You went and lived with family members to, to kind of increase your level of play, I would assume. Yes. How yes. much did that mature you, to be away from your mom and dad, to, to just kind of uproot into a totally different environment for the game itself? Did Do you think that that played a part in kind of your elevation as a leader as a basketball player? I definitely do. I feel like I grew up really quickly, um, you know, just moving to the States um, and living with my aunt. Uh, she just helped us to be able to grow up, my sister and I. And so for us to have this moment, I think it's helped me become the leader that I am just because I know how to use my voice and I'm confident in it. She is Aaliyah Boston. She's on a real show coming up later this morning. That would be Good Morning America. With a warm-up act. Yeah, but she is gracing us with her time here for a few more minutes. Um, Aaliyah, if you don't mind, describe yourself off the floor. What are your hobbies? What are your interests? Yeah, I'm definitely a homebody. So I love just relaxing, hanging out with friends, watching Netflix, maybe going to the movies. But I'm pretty chill. Um, I'm not really picky about anything, but yeah, except I don't like pickles. Oh. I hate pickles. Okay, I, I, I could probably get behind that. Um, obviously, a, a huge chatter in the last week around the women's game centered around what we saw in the national championship, and I'm sure a bit of a sour taste for you in, in what happened in the national semifinal. But what did you make of all the attention that the Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese back and forth got in the national championship game? I mean, I think it's just, um, one, just good engagement, definitely. But, I mean, everybody's been watching. Everybody is talking about it. It's just going to continue to grow the game. And I think it doesn't just stop here. It's going to continue next year. And I think everyone, everyone's fan base is just going to continue to follow them, whether they stay in school or they head to the pros. Now, Aliyah, my last question for you here. Um, you know, I live in Indianapolis. People here are not fans of the Patriots. You went to high school in Massachusetts. I, I'm not a huge Yankees fan, but I prefer them to the Red Sox. Your last name is Boston. Oh I'm a Clemson fan, and you played what? at South Carolina. Now, can we come to a, a, a peace treaty over a tenderloin? <laughs> We're going to have to because we have a lot of differences. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know, so you you have not been to Indianapolis, really. I'm assuming, right? I mean, I'm assuming you came no, through here for basketball events, but you've not yes. really done Indy, correct? Correct. Okay, well, Tyrese Halliburton welcomed you, which I thought was very cool. We look forward to yes. seeing the two of you become the face, respectively, of the two franchises in town, and hopefully bring a lot of good basketball and good work around the city. And we are certainly, I think, I speak for the city of Indianapolis in welcoming you and saying that we look forward to seeing what you can do on the basketball court for the fever thank you so much thank you guys she seems great jake i haven't checked did she find her way to good morning america yeah i'm gonna guess that um who is on good morning america these days is that which one is strahan on i think it's that one is he Good Morning America? Yeah, she's there. There's a picture of her 13 minutes ago that was posted. Look at that. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, the- is that a little started from the bottom, now we're here? You know, mm-hmm. started from Kevin McQuarrie, now we're... Are you an Apple Maps or Waze guy? Uh, I am Apple Maps. I used to do. I used to be pretty big into Waze. Waze is good. I Dave First and I once drove together to Alabama for the IndyCar race, and he had his Waze up, and, and he was... <laughs> 
<laughs> he was accumulating like the little points or credits or whatever. <laughs> like, wait a minute, was that road debris? Hang on, oh my God. hang on, I got to report it. I would not picture Dave out. first. I have no like idea. That. that was also the same trip where first and I about you know halfway through the drive. There's kind of a lull. We're just kind of driving, zoned out, and he broke into his flawless Jim Phillippe impersonation. Tom, we're at that point now. And then I did Tom Carnegie, and we did about 20 miles of just... Mm. Boy, I wish I was in the backseat of that A 20-mile drive of two guys doing PA in 1971 at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Be a fly on that upholstery. (laughs) I think we're getting uh, Grace Berger next week, it sounds like. That's cool. So Grace Berger going to join us next week again, the seventh pick for the Fever. Thank you to Leah Boston. Thank you to Joel Erickson. Uh, Gene Cady tomorrow, the Hall of Famer. Nice. Gene Cady going to join us tomorrow. Everybody enjoy this Tuesday. We'll talk to you.